100. On today's show, for the first time, Howard sits down with country music legend Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton? Dolly Parton will be here. Well, that's another one I never thought would sit on this couch. Yeah, I'm really excited about Dolly Parton. Estate. I'm negotiating. Get the whack whack. No, he had a whack whack. That's close, but not not right. Whack whack. Uh, many a career was built on whack whack. You would like to inherit that from him, huh? Yeah, I believe that should be in the Radio Hall of Fame. Back whack whack. <laughs> That's his legacy. <laughs> I'm telling you, Fred, you got a quack quack, but it ain't Imus's quack quack. It was quack quack. It's 52 degrees, quack quack. <laughs> He must have had a voice person do that because these are the quacks that I have. Yeah, well, I'm telling you, he just had a different duck. Quack quack, quack quack. Oh, that one sounds I'm, pretty uh, close, though. Let me hear it. <laughs> no, it's too long. It was literally this quack quack. <laughs> I miss uh, used to have uh, he'd go. It's fifty two degrees. Quack quack. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> uh, that was a good show. All right, quack quack. It was. Uh, you never said that while he was oh, alive. <laughs> well, I couldn't. I was afraid. I said it was good. I would have been admitting defeat. Oh. Here's a fact. Imus played the quack quack sound whenever the time of day was mentioned on his show. All right, let That's me let right. me. Uh, you want to know the truth? I don't think I heard his show more than maybe one time for like five minutes. I, I'm telling you, people used to say you used you are obviously influenced growing up. It's funny. I was thinking about Dolly Parton last night, and I was thinking about what I might want to ask her about, and uh, I was you know looking into all the musicians and things that influenced her and people have said to me my career while you were going into radio certainly you were influenced by imus and i said you know this is going to sound weird and i'm not just saying it i would tell you the truth i really didn't know even of imus it sounds weird to be a new yorker but i didn't really know about i don't know why i guess my father never listened to that or my mother i listened to bob grant and um there was another guy on uh, wmca i used to listen to named uh Alex Bennett, I would hear, or I would hear, uh, uh, oh gosh, there was some Maliki McCord and all these guys, and then some of the top 40 guys. But for some reason, I missed Imus. And I was a disc jockey and I was starting to come up on, uh, you know, Detroit radio and stuff. And people would say, oh, did you used to listen to Imus? Every minute I heard about Imus, I said, I, I asked my father, could you make a tape of Imus? I would like to hear what it is. And I remember listening to it and going, oh, that's not my, it's more, it's not my, you know, it was like, it's 7.02 in the morning, quack, quack. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't get it. It wasn't even a put down. It was just not my thing. You know, I don't know that there were many radio guys I looked up to beside Bob Grant. 
Yeah, it was like a lot of talk show guys. I was into talk show guys. The, yeah. the music guys, I, you know, I, I loved WPLJ and all the announcers on WPLJ. But it, they, were, they were good announcers like Jim Kerr right. or those guys I admired. Um, uh, but Who was that know, guy who spoke all the languages? Oh, that guy was something. Uh, his name was Barry Farber. Right. And uh, he he uh, spoke like five different languages. But I, I didn't love his show, but I would listen to it. But mm -hmm. these were the guys that influenced me. And Barry then there was Farber. the guy who gave everybody advice. Oh, well, that that guy I liked. That guy was named <laughs> Bernard Meltzer. And Bernard Meltzer was like this guy who could barely talk. Man. And, he, and when he do a live commercial, it sounded like he was going to throw up. <laughs> And my father listened to Bernard Meltzer. And then my father would lecture me. He's very good when he talks about what he knows, which is real estate. But somehow he got into being an expert on everything. People are calling him up for love advice. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He should stick to what he knows. I would listen to my father scream and yell about radio guys. And I was like, fuck, my father knows a lot about radio, but he doesn't have a radio show. Well, he, he also knows. didn't take the advice that Bernard Meltzer gave about real estate. Because he said everybody should have a home where they also had a rental property. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have that. <laughs> now, my father, uh, you know, it's weird. Like, he, he had a lot of opinions on radio. And I got to say, I, you know, I think he was right about a lot of stuff. Like he would listen to Bob Grant and go, Bob Grant is brilliant. And the stupid asses at WABC, they put the news on and the commercials and this one and that one. I want to hear Bob Grant. What do I need? If I want to hear the news or the weather, I could turn to WINS. What do, I, what, what, what do I do here? There's 10 minutes of Bob Grant. I want to hear him. My father would go berserk. We'd be in the car. Bob Grant would be talking. And then two, three, ding, 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 ding. it's a WABC news update. And they do 10 minutes of news. And my father would go, these fucking morons. I'm going to tune out. My father went berserk. My father would go berserk in the car listening to radio. And, uh, you know, I kind of, I paid attention because he didn't talk back to my father. I just listened. <laughs> he was the radio show once the commercials came on. Oh, my God. Like, he never <laughs> talked to me. He was yelling at the radio. Yeah. And how dumb the program directors are. He used to say to me, don't become a program director. My dad had real thoughts about radio. And I. Yeah. And he knew because he was a radio engineer. And, uh, yeah, he would sit there and lecture me. And, and, and then I remember I became a program director. He goes, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> I go, Dad, they're paying me an extra $50 a week. More. I was getting $250 a week to be the program director. Okay, be the program director, but do not go off the air. Do not go off the air. Uh, being a program director is stupid. You're going to tell people what they're going to listen to for music? 
<laughs> you don't know what they're going to listen to. They'll fire you. He was right. What do you want to be responsible for a whole radio station for? It's a no-win situation. He knew his See, shit. You, I mean, thought, right. you thought he didn't care. Look at the advice. He's giving you advice. He wasn't giving me advice because, first of all, he never thought I'd go into radio. He was just yelling <laughs> what he knew to me. And, and not even to me. I might as well not. I'm sure he did it when I wasn't in the car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he would just yell. <sighs> just an angry guy, my dad. And he, he, but he knew what he was talking about. He knew what he well, was talking what about. Saying. But even later when he said to you, don't be a program director, don't go off yeah. the air. If he didn't yeah, but even that made about me. you, would, would he feel, would he be saying that? I don't know if he cared about me so much, but he was just imparting knowledge to whoever would walk by. Whoever. You know what I mean? He could have said it to anyone. He would have said it to you. He would have said it at that door. It doesn't matter. He tells my mother. He would yell at my mother. What are they doing? <laughs> oh my! Hey, I don't know. It, but I did listen to him. He knew what he was talking about, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. My dad, my dad took me down to a temple to to see Bob Grant speak. Really? He loved Bob Grant. Yeah, it was a big moment in my life. Um, he said Bob Grant's going to speak at the the Hempstead Temple or something like that. He said to me. Bob Grant used to go speak to Jewish centers because he knew New York had a lot of Jews. And uh, he was smart, Bob Grant. He was always pro-Israel, pro, you know, he, he knew if the Jews would support him, he would, you know, do these speaking engagements. You know what I mean? Right. He was building an right. audience. And I think I met Bob Grant. Like, I shook his hand. And I was really? all excited. Yeah. For me, seeing Bob Grant was like seeing the Beatles, you know. It was, it was fucking nuts. Like, there's the guy that my father worships on the radio and the... Uh, it was amazing. And Did he, he meet big... up to your expectations? I yeah, mean, this guy he was brilliant. Father he, loved him. Yeah. I mean, it was funny seeing him. I had never seen Bob Grant before, and he was like this little old man with a toupee and a, <laughs> you know what I mean, radio guys. Now I'm used to seeing radio guys in person, but in the old days, you know, it was a shock because you heard these guys and you had built up in your mind what they looked like. Yeah, you know. And then, you know, some Mishkite would come up to you <laughs> and you go, oh, my God, what? Whoa, that can't be Bob Grant. And Bob had like a nose job and a toupee. And, wow. you know, I was like, I was like, what the fuck? But, uh, you know, some of these radio guys, I mean, Bob, you know, Bob Grant made Cousin Brucey look like Bradley Cooper. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was unbelievable what this Bob Grant looked like. But Jesus Christ, was he good on the radio. This fucker, get on the radio. You couldn't stop listening. He was so good. He was so good. He, he get the callers in place. He was like a lion tamer. He knew about everything. It was just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, those are my radio heroes. So I miss, I didn't really know. And then, you know. When I got to when I got to Washington D.C., people used to say to me, "Oh, you know, New Yorkers." I would come visit my parents and stuff, and I was number one in Washington. I was a pretty big deal there. But I come to New York and they go, "Oh, you do a radio show? Are you anything like Imus?" <laughs> and I'd go, I get my blood would boil. I go, "No, not really." Oh, Imus is so funny. What's funny? Quack quack. I got. I was immediately hostile. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. That's the quack quack. 
Very good, quack, friend. Quack. Where'd you find the quack quack? That's the internet. Quack. Internet's a wonderful place. Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, quack, you're number quack. one in Washington. Do you play quack quack? <laughs> no, there's no quack quack on my show. Quack quack. quack, quack. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then when I met him, when we went to NBC, that didn't go well. He was kind of mean to me. But, you know, I, I've come to understand him. You know, here was this young guy, I had big ratings in Washington, D.C. Everyone was saying that I uh, was the new thing. And I guess he felt, you know, he felt threatened by it. And I get it. You know, he, he didn't want to sit there and embrace me right away. But then when my ratings went up, he, he became nice. He was nice to us well, then. I didn't like yeah. Imus so much because he felt competitive. I know we have competition. That's what yeah. he should be doing. It was everything else about him. Yeah, quack, quack. You, you didn't like quack, quack. <laughs> you were jealous. You wanted me to adopt the quack, quack. No, I was thinking maybe nice if I, person. maybe I should bark like, woof, woof. Right. I don't know. noise for the time. Quack, quack. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Those were those were the days, huh? The old, you know, old time radio. Radio used to be important. It's not important anymore. I've determined that it's now with the podcast. Radio is even more of a whorehouse industry. It's like everybody has a fucking microphone in their house. And I'll meet people now, and they come up to me. Oh, yeah. They go, yeah. You still on the radio? I go, yeah. They go, yeah. I have a radio show too. I go, oh, you do? You're in radio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like we do a podcast out of my house. Oh, okay. Oh, people yeah. are demanding sound rooms now. You know, they do you have yeah. a sound room? Oh, is that right? In their house, they oh, build yeah, a sound room? Yeah, yeah. They have sound guess, rooms in their home. Guess who Look doesn't have studio. a sound room? <laughs> guess who doesn't have a sound room? Me. <laughs> I got to fucking get it together. You know, I got a pretty big house, but for some reason, I'm stuffed into a closet. <laughs> My wife wouldn't let me take over one of the rooms that nobody uses for a radio room. So I'm down here in my basement, and in my basement, I got a pretty nice setup uh, of, like, uh, you know, pool table and chairs and all kinds of cool games yeah. and stuff. And so there was only this one little tiny narrow room for my, I didn't know it was called a sound room. <laughs> but in my my sound room is, in, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a professional broadcaster, and I got a she room. Yeah, I hear people on these podcasts uh, congratulating each other on their studios. Wow! Oh, you you built a new studio. It's lovely. What do you or what do you think of my new studio? Oh <laughs> shit! I, you know what? I got to tell you, I don't listen to. I don't think I listen to any podcast for that reason. It gets me too depressed. <laughs> radio used to be such an elite medium. You know, if you got on the radio, you were somebody. You were somebody, man. But uh, not anymore. Now you're an asshole. You know. It's like uh, I'm so you're glad competing I competing with podcasts. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, you know, I used to compete with Imus, and and that I respect because at least Imus came up the hard way. You know, he worked in Cleveland. He got fired. He came in. That's a that's a respectable competition. Now it's like, oh, you're up against Fred's plumber. <laughs> Fred's plumber. Yeah, he's got a podcast. You should see he's got thousands of listeners. He uses a beaver sound effect. Yeah. Beaver? <laughs> yeah. Quack, quack. But I hear uh, people um, quack, quack. on podcasts bragging about 
how little knowledge they have. They didn't go to high. <laughs> they didn't complete high school. Damn. You know, they didn't we, do this. They didn't do that. <laughs> we got our own radio empire. We didn't even go to third grade. <laughs> oh, you got back in my day. You needed like a license to broadcast. I had to go get yeah. the FCC first class radio telephone license. Now you need a thirteen dollar microphone from Radio Shack. <laughs> yeah, did you see my studio? Right behind this curtain is my laundry machine. <laughs> Yeah, it's called a washer-dryer, you fuck. Oh, yeah, you know. Oh, my father used it. You want to be on the radio? You must have elocution lessons. And you should go to summer stock to learn how to act. I mean, there, there was real... There was some pride in making it. You know, you need a good voice and proper enunciation. Now it's like, you know. Yeah, we... Um, me and my friend, we... We took over my mom's living room and we're broadcasting. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's no fun in it anymore. I guarantee if I was a young man coming up now, I, I would not pick radio as a, as a career. I don't know what I would do, but it wouldn't be radio. I, you know, the days of quack, quack. You, years ago, you go on and just go quack, quack and have a deep <laughs> voice and you would, you would have an audience. But if you got on the radio back, back in the day and you went, you were somebody. <laughs> there are people live streaming on Instagram to more people than an FM station. Really? It's really yeah. true. Yeah. The Kardashians, they could live stream to hundreds of millions of people at one time. I mean, it's just all fucked up. That's what I mean. It's all over. I was talking to a very famous rock star recently off the air. We were, uh, we were together. We had dinner together. And um, I said, dude, aren't you glad you came up when you did? And he was like, dude. oh, yeah. The, the music industry is all fucked up now. Everything's fucked up. Even movies. No, movies. Movies. Yeah, for a while, they were holding strong. And then the pandemic came and, and their knees started to shake because yeah. it was like, uh-oh, people are losing that idea that they should go out and see a movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything's changed, you know. It's a different world. I know. I have no, you know me, I used to be the, I have to see it first. Yeah. And I'd run to that movie theater. And No, it's uh, a different now, world now. Yeah. I don't even, I'll see it when I see it. No Being on the radio, you're a schlub. You know what I mean? You're just like everybody else. You yeah. talk in a microphone. I do, too. I can't tell you how I can't stand it. I'll go out to dinner with people and, oh, yeah, I have a radio show. They go, I know you do, but stop it. I know somebody called us the other day and they said, oh, have you heard the radio show with Jimmy and Jimmy? And I know yeah. those guys, those guys have a radio show. Like, yeah, there's nothing too special about doing this anymore. That's why it'll be time soon to leave. You know what I mean? It's it's enough. Yeah, people can now listen to their next door neighbor. <laughs> you know, hey, you know, my neighbor has a show. It's sort of an inspirational show. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, I'm excited today to be talking to Dolly Parton. What a fucking legend, man. I did a deep dive the last couple of days on Dolly Parton's career. It's fucking insane. She's another one like Barbara Streisand. It's insane. 
she, I got to ask, well, here I go again. I shouldn't even bring it as up, but. Right. You're going to preview your questions? Yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I won't go into it, but, uh, she's unbelievable. What the fuck she's done? Yeah, I'll read you some stats. It's crazy. Sold 100 million records worldwide. 26 number one country hits. More than any art, any female artist. Only U.S. artist on country charts for the past seven decades. Ten Grammys, 53 nominations, two-time Oscar nominee. U.S. Library of Congress Living Legend Award and a Kennedy Center honoree. Fucking insane. Did you say she's been seven decades? She's Seven been decades. On? Yeah. Wow. She's 76. Uh, she had her first single out, I think, when she was nine. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, she wrote a song with her with her uncle. Lord. I mean, think <laughs> about that. <laughs> this guy named Bill Owens. I was like, who is Bill Owens? He's just some dude. <laughs> uh, it's crazy what the woman's done. Not to mention, well, I won't mention everything because, you know, she's going to be here. Why would I go through that now? But uh, And talk about overcoming odds. Well, we'll get into it. It's a great her origin story is whacked out. It is wild. Yeah, a lot of uh, those country women singers, especially, came from I, God knows where. I really want to. I really want to do the deep dive with Dolly if she'll allow me, because uh, for as much time as I got her, I want to sit there and just fucking get into it with her. I got so much. She's known everyone. She's recorded with everyone. She's a big she, fan of music of all well, kinds. So she put out a rock album. And by rock album, I mean she went to a bunch of people and, and covered their songs. She did some originals, too. But she uh, she recorded with Richie Sambora, Sting, Steve Perry. No, Steve Perry. I won't, I won't bring up my. It, it's about her. I won't bring up my hassle with him. Steve Perry. I think she should have recorded with the new guy in Journey. Um, that guy, Pineda. Oh, I like him. Pineda guy? Yeah, him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she should have done a duet with Steve Perry. But anyway, Richie Sambora Sting, Steve Perry, John Fogarty, Kid Rock, Steven Tyler, Stevie Nicks, Peter Frampton, Joan Jett, Chris Stapleton, Miley Cyrus, Pink, Brandy Carlisle, Elton John. What song did she do with Brandy Carlisle, John? I don't re I listened to the whole album. I don't remember hearing you Brandy. You remember? I don't. But there's like 30-something songs on there. So I might have wow. missed it. Is this like a double uh, album? Satisfaction with Pink. Oh, that's what she did with Brandy Carlo. There was, uh, I guess there's some uh, controversy because she wanted to record with Mick Jagger, but Mick Jagger didn't want to do Satisfaction. He wanted to do some other Stone song. And I got to say, I would have really loved if Dolly did Love in Vain. I think it would be the perfect song for her. But, you know, nobody can me. Well, how did me. she pick the songs? I don't know. Well, you listen, you're going to hear the interview and you'll know. <laughs> Elton John, Melissa Etheridge, Lizzo, Sheryl Crow. Lizzo did um Lizzo did Stairway to Heaven with Dolly and played the flute. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful fucking rendition. Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Ronnie Van Zant. Couldn't get Ed Sheeran, Mick Jagger, Cher, and Lionel Richie. Anyway. 
We'll talk to her later in the show. When you were reading this list, nobody says no to Dolly, but then somebody did. A couple of people. Um, Yeah, by the way, uh, a lot of people wrote in. They're excited. Dolly's going to be on the show today. I'll read you some of those. People took the time to write us. I can't believe I can't believe you, you you can say you are interviewing Dolly Parton so calmly. Her documentary was great. She's an amazing person. She even pays 100% of tuition costs for her parks and resort employees. Yeah, that's not all she's done. I uh, can't wait to hear the um, the interview with Dolly Parton. Such a philanthropic, talented human being. <coughs> Uh, can you please ask Dolly if she is aware that Posh Spice and David Beckham danced to Dolly's music in their Netflix special? She doesn't give a shit about that. Oh, she I might like her. to hear that. No. What are you talking about? Dolly doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Whitney Houston recorded her song and it became a massive... What does she care if David Beckham's dancing around to her song? It just it's, keeps her, her relevant. People are hearing her music if they go and no. watch... Posh and David. Uh, I'm speaking for her as our spokesperson now. Uh, She doesn't give two fucks about that. (laughs) (laughs) What's she going to If I ask her about this, she's going to go, that's nice. You know. She might go watch uh, that bit of their documentary. Maybe. I doubt it. (laughs) Um. Oh, a lot of you wrote, uh, oh, here's a lot of people calling in about Dolly Parton. Yeah, go ahead, Jennifer, in Kentucky. Hi, ask question. Yes. Sure. Can you, ask, can you ask Dolly or can you see, there's a rumor that she has like full sleeve tattoos on her arms. Hmm. And she wears like, if you look at pictures of her, she always has a shirt underneath what she's wearing with like those little thumb holes, like those yeah. athletic shirts. Do you know what I'm talking about? So she yes. has a bunch of tats, huh? All right, I'll, listen. Yeah, I got a lot up. to I got a lot to ask her, but if I remember that, I will. Okay, Jennifer, thank you. Uh, Dave, go ahead. You're on in Maine. Now, quack quack, quack quack. Any chance? Any chance you can ask uh, Dolly about the audio book? Oh yeah! Oh geez, no! I'm so glad she's coming in. I am bringing that up, but uh, that's right. Are you crazy? Kept her out of here for so long. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. I'm so happy she's coming in. I'm not looking to. I'm looking to. Yeah. Oh no. We burned those tapes. Yeah, you're not kidding. (laughs) (laughs) To me, it was a loving tribute, but it wasn't taken that way. She didn't take it that way. That's right. Uh, Let's go to Stacy. You're on the air. West hey, Virginia. Good, good morning, Howard. I just wanted to say long time, um, long time, first time caller. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you for everything that you do. Um, today is the 10 year anniversary of my dad's passing. And um, when he was alive, we would both go to work in the morning listening to your show. But on the way home every day, we would actually uh, reflect on your show and laugh and, and have a good time reflecting on everything that uh, that went on on the show during that day. And um, when he was in the hospital, he was in the ICU, but I still brought in the uh, Sirius Satellite satellite Stiletto um, and let him listen to your show. And then um, after he passed, I, I actually made a point of going and watching one of the tapings of America's Got Talent because I had to put eyes on Howard Stern. So every time wow. that, uh, you uh, say, hey, now 
Let's say uh let's say a collective hey now to Stacy's dad right now. Hey now. Hey now. Hey now. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Stacy. Sorry about your dad. I hate losing fans, I do. I hate when fans die. It sucks. Why do good people have to die? Meaning our fans. (laughs) You know? Unfortunately, Uh, none of us get out of here alive. Yeah, I know. I hope I live forever. Maybe I'll be the one. Maybe I'll be the one to live forever. (laughs) You're going to crack the code? I'll crack the code. I'm angry about the future. I know some point, if the world manages to stay together, scientists will figure out a way to keep people alive forever. And uh, we'll have died and we'll be like, You want all these people to stay alive? Well, not everyone. There's a couple I wish right now would leave the planet promptly. But, uh, you know, meaningful people like myself should be kept alive at all at all costs. I'm important. I'm important to people. Uh, anyway, uh, Audi, you're on the air. Audi in Texas. Audi. How how you doing? Audi, yeah. I like the car. Audi. Hey now, hey now. <laughs> hey now. Hey, I just want to say you need to give kudos to your engineering team. The sound yesterday on your show with Sammy was awesome. Sounded great on my car radio. Went home, turned it on the home audio. Sounded great. So I could just imagine what it sounded like in the studio. I got to tell you something, Audi. Uh, I love that Sammy Hagar. This fucking guy's energy. This guy is 76 years old. I was thinking about him all yesterday, and I was walking around singing right now. You know, I was like, right now. I mean, it was so great. Anytime that guy wants to come on, I have him on. I've had him on the show, I think now, nine or ten times. And, uh, you know, his exuberance is an absolute inspiration. This guy doesn't walk around like an old man. He's going to be doing all these rock shows, Van Halen songs and, and chicken foot stuff and, and Sammy Hagar Solar stuff. And he's got, you know, Joe Satriani. I think it's just fucking amazing. And he even said, hey, man, I don't know how much longer I'll be able to do this. So I'm going out one last time. I'm going to do all the Van Halen songs that people want to hear, the songs that I was involved with. And I'm going to I'm going to sing them um, because I still can. And. um I think it's great. And and when he started talking yesterday about, you know, especially talking about Eddie, I thought it was the most great. I thought it was the most loving tribute to Eddie Van Halen to hear Sammy and Michael Anthony talking about the days and even hearing Joe Satriani talk about how difficult some of these licks are to play that Eddie Van Halen did. So for me. Maybe it's not for everyone. Uh, if you're a Van Halen fan yesterday, I just was uh, I was uh to use a, an Italian word, I was quelling over that appearance. <laughs> I loved it. So, uh, yeah, I love Sammy, and many of you did. Um, uh, here's a couple of things people wrote. I don't know how you guys do it, but this may be the greatest run of guests in radio history. Just fucking amazing. Sammy was awesome. Can't wait to hear Dolly Parton, tom- Dolly Parton tomorrow. Uh, how the hell is Sammy 76? He sounds so damn good. Yeah, it is crazy. You know, and I, I don't know that Sammy took such good care of himself, honestly, but, uh, no. you know, you know, it wasn't like he was a saint. Um, th- this announcement had me screaming. Sammy, Michael, Bonham, and Satriani all together. The tour is going to rock. Howard, I'm psyched for this tour. 5150 was incredible. Can't wait to hear it live. Yeah, it was great watching them. 
loved hearing best of both worlds. Yeah. Best of both worlds lived up to its name this morning. Sammy Michael, um, Jason Bonham, the Zeppelin Legacy, and Satriani all together. These guys are the best band in the world, too. Very nice. Yeah, I loved it. And they did a ton of fucking songs. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. All of a sudden, they uh, broke into Good Enough. They did Summer Nights. Right now. Yeah. Sing it, boys. Right now. When it's love. I actually spoke to uh, Sammy last night. Yeah. And uh, he was on a real high. He had a great time. He said the band loved it. And uh, he really is psyched. He cannot wait to go out on the road. The guy loves performing. There you go. So uh, that was a fun, fun morning yesterday. And uh, whew, I was shocked how good. And that Satriani, anything you tell him to play, he plays. You see, Robin, if he had been my guitar teacher... I would be now in, I would probably be You'd in a Van Halen tribute band. Yeah. Metallica. <laughs> I'd be, yeah, I'd be in Metallica. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, Chris, you're on the air in Massachusetts. Hey, Howard. Decades hey long listener. And uh, I totally agree with you with the change in radio, but you're not radio, man. You're an institution. And the day you stop broadcasting is the day millions will stop listening to talk radio. And just finally, your interview with Barbara Streisand had me crying. Unbelievable, man. Wow. Well, thank you for that. All right. We have, we've had a nice little run of uh, people walking into this uh, studio here. It's really Superstars. quite incredible. Superstars. Superstars. Yeah, if you listen to Barbara, you can't help but fall in love with her. God, she's just something. Anyway, uh, that was fun. Um, oh, so a lot of people also wrote me, as long as I'm reading uh, what people wrote. There was a lot of talk, Robin, yesterday about uh, Debbie and Megan trying to get High Pitch Eric to come. Yeah. Yeah, let's get real now because, uh, you know, enough about... Uh, all these famous guests. Let's get down to the Let's meat and potatoes. Let's go from the highs to the low. To the low. <laughs> Let's go from the high to the incredibly low. <laughs> uh, fans cannot believe that Debbie the cum lady and Megan, who had sex, you know, Megan had sex with medicated Pete. They can't believe that these two want to spend an entire weekend trying to make high pitch Eric come. I mean, it is quite remarkable. This is unbelievable. This might be the biggest event in Stern Show history that someone wants to, two women want to blow high pitch Eric. Uh, I, I for really those, can't believe it. It's just, this is just not anything that anybody could have ever seen coming. From well, the time we met Eric, did you think two attractive <laughs> women... <laughs> would be saying to us, 
We need to make him come. It's unbelievable. I never could have predicted a high patriarch would become a sex symbol. It just uh, <laughs> just crazy. But uh, poor JD can't get laid. But the high patriarch no. is having two women. They're fighting but, uh, to get to him, and and then he won't answer. He's playing hard to get. Yeah, I'm busy. I have a uh, surgery coming up. <laughs> I mean. It, you got to admit, this show really has range. You go from like Barbara Streisand or Sammy Hagar right right down into the gutter with uh, high-pitched Clooney, uh, who, who's too busy to answer the women. But anyway, uh, Howard, I'm certain that high pitch will never come with Megan. However, I'm positive that Megan will vomit blowing Eric. Well, there you go. <laughs> Howard, I would rather fillet a rotting horse corpse then put my mouth anywhere near that vile, mouth-bleeding fatso. Howard, I pray that Megan gets the mental health help she will need if she goes through with fucking high-pitch Eric. Howard, doesn't Eric take anxiety meds? There's your culprit for not coming right there. Well, high-pitch claims he went off him when uh, he is going to have sex. You know, he goes off for a couple of weeks. I have no idea what he's going to do or what's wrong with him. I'm sorry, but how depraved do you have to be to want to have sex with high pitch? Shame on Debbie and Megan. Uh, these women are being um, <laughs> shamed. they're being condemned. Yeah. Shame. 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 What's, uh, is high pitch never supposed to have a woman? Never supposed to experience life? If Megan and Debbie can't get high pitch Eric to come, Chris Wilding should just step up and do it. Make him blow his, make him get up there and blow high pitch Eric and bring a big load. Uh, listen, uh, I can't make Chris Wilding blow Eric. I yeah, mean, they, you're, not, I th you're not that right. powerful. I'm his boss, but I'm not his pimp. Uh, finally, I got an email from the CEO of this company, Jennifer Witz. I've got five grand on him coming. <laughs> What do you think of that? <laughs> Everybody's into it now. Everybody's talking about it. Um, I'll tell you what. Maybe a little you know game what? is it. I, I'm just thinking, this is like our Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we, it's ridiculous. I got a game for you to play. But uh, yes, Mark, go ahead while I'm looking for that game. Uh, Mark in Florida, go ahead. Hey, on behalf of all us straight guys out here, I can't believe you've got... Two gorgeous women fighting over that fat fuck and his ability to come or not while the rest of us are out here begging for scraps. How is this even possible? I know what you're saying. This is pissing a lot of people off. All right, Robin, time for a game. Yeah. Um, okay, Get Megan, serious. who had... Get serious. It's a Get game. serious. Megan, who uh, made Medicated Pete come. In fact, if you remember... Here's a clip of Medicated Pete coming, uh, in case you missed it. This is him with Megan. Can I, uh, try to call your boobs? Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that noise Pete makes. Oh. Oh. 
sound of love, Robin. The sound of love. That is not human. Those noises are not human. How fast would you run out of the bedroom if you heard those noises? <laughs> oh, like a, my goodness. I'm like a dying chipmunk. Anyway, after the date, as you know, Megan revealed she wants to blow high pitch Eric. Yeah. And now the whack pla- the whack pack floodgates have opened, but all of the whack pack is trying to hook up with Megan. But here's the game. Would Megan hook up with them? Let's play a game, Robin. Who would Megan have sex with from the whack pack? This is gonna be tough because I never would have guessed high pitch air. All right, Robin, you're right. It is tough. I'm going to name a whack packer, Robin, and you'll guess whether Megan would be willing to have sex with that person. You want to play? Uh, okay, I'm ready to play. All right. You want to uh, let one of the listeners play for some of that junk? I mean, some of those prizes I have in my <laughs> warehouse? Absolutely. We need to clear that All place right. out. Jared, you want to play? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. You got the time? I said you have the time to play. I mean, you got a few minutes? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, oh for sure, yeah, let's do it. All right, let's figure out what you're playing for, because I got a lot of prizes in that warehouse. Uh, Jason, give me something that's been laying in that warehouse that I pay exorbitant amounts of money to store all this shit I've saved my entire career that Jared might want. Uh, Howard, today we have um, private parts postcards. Why are you echoing? I don't know. Private parts postcards. I seem to remember that. Describe them. They're uh, they're little postcards that were promotional for when private parts came out. And uh, that's it. They're just Ooh. postcards. I think they're actual postcards. You can write on them, mail them, use them, save them, nice. do whatever you want. And I've been, I've been saving that in my little storage unit for well, how many years now? That's like 25 years, isn't it? Yes, I believe since 1997. Uh, <laughs> how many postcards are there? All of them, as many as you got, you give to this guy Jared That's and dump him off saying. at his house. What, how much are we going to send to yeah. Jared? Yeah, how many how many postcards you got there, uh, Jason? Do you know how many we have? Twenty three. All right. Oh, Jared, I'm going to mail you twenty three <laughs> postcards from private parts. They're going to sit in your house rather than in mine. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's your prize. And you know what? Whether you win or lose, I'm sending that prize to you. I don't care. <laughs> you have to take it. You, If I showed you the bills of what I pay to store this crap, I don't know what I was thinking. Saving postcards from, from private parts. You know, parts. you're probably the problem. I needed yeah. to store something not too long ago. And they said all, this, all the warehouses are full. Do you know I have all of the storage spaces in New Jersey, Connecticut, and New York? I own I own every one of them. I, it's unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. Filled with shit. <laughs> all right. Here we go, Jared and Robin. Now it's time to play the game. Who would Megan have sex with from the Wag Pack? All right. As you know, Robin and, uh, and Jared, Bigfoot is from the backwoods of Vermont. Yeah. Almost everything about him is frightening or disgusting, but he does have a nine inch penis. Do you think Megan would have sex with Bigfoot? All right, let's go first to uh, Robin Quivers and find out that what she says. That is a tough one because if Megan is a huge fan of the show, she knows that Bigfoot is always. 
carrying some kind of disease, and she has a cleanliness fetish. So I'm going to say no. She would not sleep with Bigfoot. All right, buddy. Does have a monster cock. Let's not forget that, Jared. Jared, what do you say? Will Megan, who has had sex with medicated Pete, is on her way to blowing high pitch Eric. Would she have sex with Bigfoot? Well, you know, at first I'm inclined to say no because Bigfoot's not exactly the uh, best speaker in the world. But then again, so neither is medicated Pete. So I'm going to have to go with yes. She probably would. You say yes. Robin says no. Let's find out. Here we go. Let's go right to the source. Here's Megan. No. For hygiene and safety reasons robin is thinking like megan exactly right yeah, don't worry you gotta jared. get into megan's head jared <laughs> jared don't worry you have no danger in losing your prize you'll <laughs> you'll you'll get that no matter what you can't lose <laughs> in fact you can't even refuse that prize it's coming to your house whether you like it or not so there it is robin you're on the board the answer is no i don't give a fuck all right here we go <laughs> the next one is Gary the Conqueror. Gary the Conqueror is a slow adult. You can't get slower than Gary. He's been on the regular. He's been on a show as a regular for 25 years. Yes. But what he lacks in brain power, he makes up for in personality. He's a great guy. Could Megan see herself going all the way with Gary the Conqueror? I'm going to go to Jared first, Robin. Let go me go ahead. to Jared. Okay, Jared. Jared. I mean, I, I still got to say yes, just because mainly because of high pitch. I mean, if she's going there, she pretty much goes just about anywhere, I think, right? So. All right. Jared says yes. Lock him in on a yes. Robin, Gary the Conqueror, you know him very well. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine being in bed with Gary the Conqueror? Would, would Megan go there? I, I, this is a bit of a moral dilemma, you know, like she might say he's not capable of adult consent. Mm-hmm. But if she could be assured that I guess she could get by with this legally, I think she'd do it. Okay. Both of you uh, say yes. You know, my I don't know the answer to this one, but I would say yes, too, because she'd sound really like like a bad person if she wouldn't have sex with Gary <laughs> the Conqueror. I don't think she really I don't think she really would go through with it, but. Uh, she would sound, yes. yeah, she's <laughs> right. Okay, let's find out if you two are right. Yes. I, uh, I like Gary. I, I would, uh, yes, I would have sex with him. Yeah, there you go. That's a yes. Both of you are doing well, Robin. You have two right. Jared has one right, one wrong. Well, listen, if Jenny can fuck Forrest Gump. Megan can fuck Gary the Conqueror. All right, let's go to this next one. You're right, yes. All right, this is a fun game. Let's continue playing. What about Mark the Bagger? He, I'll I'll give you a little background. Mark the Bagger, been calling into the show a long time. He jacks off on his carpet, but he's, uh, he is great at bagging groceries. He's a nice guy. What do you think, Robin? Mark the Bagger would, uh. He's living on his own, right? He has his own place now? He got his own place. That's right. He's only, he's jerking off on his own carpet now and not his mother's. <laughs> that's, that's I a good point. say she would say yes to Mark the Bagger. All right. That's a yes. Jared, what do you say? Yes or no? I would have to say no, partly because of the hygiene thing, like she said with Bigfoot, and also because of uh, possibly the way Mark acted when Nikki Glazer was on. So. All right. Oh. Well, then we have, have a, a difference uh, of opinion. 
Well, that's called a controversy. Robin says yes. Jared says no. Let's see who's right about Mark the Bagger and Megan. No, because I don't feel like I have as much of a connection with him as I have with some of the other wax packers. I haven't listened to a lot of his bits. And so I just wouldn't feel comfortable. Go fuck yourself. All right, that's a no. I'm with you, Mark. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Robin, you've gotten, uh, I believe, two correct. And uh, now Jared has two correct. It's not that's a competition. Right. We're, but We're neck and neck. Right. And uh, Jared is playing for prizes that he's going to win no matter what. I've decided. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll take him. Send him on, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Okay, I'll give you a, let's see. Okay, here's a good one. We know that Megan wants to shower high-pitch Eric before she blows him due to his bad hygiene. Yeah. Would she extend the same courtesy to ass napkin Ed? He keeps a napkin between his ass cheeks to prevent streaks and leaks. Would she have sex with ass napkin Ed? Yes or no, Robin? No. Jared. I'm also going to say no, man. Ass worms. <laughs> Let's find that's out if you're exactly both right. Thought, uh, no, yeah. that's, Let's find out. Uh, no, that's a no. His ass is itchy, and I I don't want any part of that. Mm. Fuck you, asshole. Wow. <laughs> All right, well, there you go. Uh, both of you were absolutely right. So ass napkin will have to stick to fucking turkeys. Um <laughs> All right, Robin, here's a name. Jeff, the vomit guy. He gets turned on by oh. watching women vomit. He particularly loves when they puke on him. Could Megan be the vomiter Jeff has been searching for? Robin, yes or no? No, 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 no. She no way, you say. No that. way. That doesn't turn her on. All right, Jared. Well, to make it interesting, I'll say yes, even though it's a far, far right. stretch. Well, you can't lose, so go ahead. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and I and I don't. Uh, and also, uh, I think this is interesting enough. You don't have to make it any more interesting. But here we go. Uh, will Will Megan uh, fuck Jeff the vomit guy? Definitely not. I cannot stand vomit. That that I it will make me vomit, and then he'll get excited, and I will not get excited. Do I ever do anything right? <laughs> All right. There you go, Jeff the vomit guy. All right, here, this is, uh, this is, uh, gonna I'm ahead maybe again, I make think. you, uh, you know what, Robin? I, if you say you so, I agree. <laughs> I lost track. I, I'm not even following this game. All right. This one might make you a little upset. So just be prepared. Do you think she'd be willing to take a chance on former Mets superstar Lenny Dykstra? I know he's your man, but, uh, um, you know, uh, let's be honest. Uh, actually, some women like Robin find him repulsive, but he does claim to be an expert on oral sex. Would Megan have sex with Lenny Dykstra? Robin, yes or no? I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. Hmm. Well, he is Lenny Dykstra. Uh, Jared, what do you say? Well, not to make Robin jealous or anything, but I also agree. All right, let's see if you're right. You know what? I'll say yes. He called in a couple weeks ago and was talking about how he's got a rock-hard cock all the time now. So, you know what? I'll, I'll give that a ride. 
I will make you come. Very good. Wow. All right. I'll give you one hard one. Okay. No pun intended. Hard one. <laughs> this is a tough one. Who is the greatest whack packer of all time? Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. All right. He was born with dwarfism and a whole bunch of other shit. Microcephaly. <laughs> too much to name. <laughs> uh, to list here. But anyway, we love him. Would Megan be willing to have sex with this tiny legend? Wow. Beetlejuice. Wow. Robin, yes or no? Beetlejuice. Look, I I hope she would <laughs> give the legend his due and say yes. All right, Robin's a yes. Jared, Beetlejuice, is uh, Megan willing to sleep with him? I'd have to say no just because of his antics in the past with uh, shitting the bed and things like that. So. <laughs> Those are think so, but all right. <laughs> yeah, you don't blame him. You know, everyone deserves a second chance or a third or a fourth. <laughs> all right. Let's find out from Megan herself. Would she have sex with Beetlejuice? And the answer is... Yes, 100%. Sign me up with Beetlejuice. I would love to wow. give him a good time. I like his attitude. Like, he just kind of walks in the room like he owns the place. And um, I really dig that. He's the quarterback of the football team. I'm into that. Coming after you, baby. <laughs> All right. That's amazing. Well, there you go. Jared, remarkably, you've won these postcards from the movie Private Parts. Uh, through your own wits and, uh, and, uh, and super brain, you've won uh, the postcards <laughs> that are have been locked up in my storage facility for many, many years where I've paid a fortune to house them there because somebody in my organization, possibly me, thought they'd be worth something someday. But there you go. You've won. And, Jared, hold the line for your prize. And I see Jason here who wants to say something. Yes, Jason. I have an exciting update for Jared. Uh, we miscounted. Uh, it turned out that we had the postcards a few places listed in our archive. We actually have 159 private parts postcards what? we wow. can send him the full set jared J jared you're getting every single postcard <laughs> we could find that i'm jared this is an unbelievable prize uh for me uh, because now i don't have to pay to house these things thank you jared I hope you have hold the line please well friends. thank you guys so much howard and robin i'm a huge fan of what you guys do. i love you guys so much can't wait for the interview with dolly today um, right. All right. Yeah. And Jared, please uh, d do not try to hang up and hide your address because we will hunt you down. You are taking this prize. <laughs> you must take them all. Okay. I got you, Howard. Thank you. All right. Now, hold on. That's Jared from Tennessee. Did you grow up near uh, Dolly Parton? I'm actually from the Smoky Mountains. Uh, I went to the same high school she did. Uh, I work around here in the area she works in. Um, she's been so. Oh such a saint to our area you know i'm sure you've already done research on it but i mean we've had some things happen around here that she's helped out with so much and she's really kind of boosted our economy around here so whenever i heard she was coming on the show i thought it was cool as fuck man so i can't wait all right jared real good hold on yeah, don't lose jared please guys uh, i need that stuff to go to tennessee and out of my life thank you you want to hear a crazy story that i read about this song prince 
when he was writing this song, he initially sent Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac a country-style 10-minute demo of the song and said, would you please write the lyrics to this music? She was so intimidated, she claimed, uh, that she turned down Prince. She felt, I don't feel worthy, which is odd to me because she's such a great songwriter. But if I ever have the opportunity to speak to Stevie Nicks, which who knows, uh, I would ask her about that because that, that to me is fascinating. Why would she... I understand why she was intimidated by Prince. The guy was such a fucking talent that maybe she didn't want to touch it. But anyway, there's a story. In the purple rain. Oh, quack, 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 quack. something new every day. Imagine Stevie Nicks saying, Prince, I can't do it. It's too intimidating. But, you know, when some someone said in the last several days when we've been talking to music, musicians, that if the music doesn't speak to them, they can't write to it. I think Sammy said that. That's what Sammy was saying yesterday, actually. You're right. Sammy yeah. Hagar was saying, uh, Eddie would, I mean, I can't, I was thinking about what Sammy was saying yesterday. Can you imagine the reality of that? You're, uh, you're, you know, to me, Eddie Van Halen was like a Beethoven, like a, like a one in a billion. And now you're in a band with this guy and he says, uh, Hey, go through my cassettes and listen to all the things that are in my head. I've, I've recorded a whole bunch of riffs. Uh, see if anything speaks to you. And then he's just listening to these thousands of little moments, musical interludes and things. And he goes, oh, that speaks to me. That's that's a crazy. Yeah, it's a crazy business. You know what I mean? And who knows what else Eddie Van Halen has in that? I think Wolfgang, when I did interview him after his father died, he said that he did have these cassettes and stuff that uh, he's got the whole archive down in uh, in Eddie's old studio. They mm. They saved everything. So. I think it would be interesting to listen to what the hell was in Eddie's head. Anyway, there you go. And speaking of Dolly, Dolly also sings with Stevie Nicks uh, on her uh, new rock star album, too. So she worked with everybody. It's weird. Have we ever, I think we interviewed Christine McVeigh from Fleetwood And John, right? Were they? Yeah, and John, yeah. John and Christine? Yeah, I seem to remember something like that. But then again, it could be my 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 brain playing tricks on me. Who knows? I don't remember anything. <laughs> I really don't. People tell me stuff I did in my career. I don't even know what they're talking about. Okay. So, okay, I read you the fan mail. Let me take a couple of calls, and then I'm gonna. I'm. Oh yeah. Oh, let me remind you of this before I get to the phone calls. Uh, Friday night. On Howard 101, if you if you love musicians, uh, this little series we put together, I think, is terrific. We've had some really top-notch people picking music to play on a Friday night. Right there on Howard 101, uh, the great drummer Stuart Copeland, who we don't mention enough from the wow. police. Yeah. Drummer Stuart Copeland of the police is hosting a new episode of Songs I Want to Hear. We just said to Stuart... Um, Go in the studio, you play what you want to play musically, and if you would, just say a few words, or not, about why you picked 
this song or that song. And it's really kind of interesting because it's there's one part I remember listening to that I was fascinated by. We all talk about Jimi Hendrix, and he wanted to play a Jimi Hendrix song, but he didn't want to play this song because it was a Jimi Hendrix song. He wanted to play it because of the drummer in the band Jimi Hendrix and the Experience. You know, he loved the drummer so much that um, he he heard Jimi Hendrix and he went, Jesus, listen to what this guy Mitch Mitchell is doing behind Jimi Hendrix as a drummer. But it's completely lost because Jimi Hendrix is such a monster guitar player. Right. Everybody you know, was I found with that, him. Yeah. And I found that to be so interesting. Like, like that, you know, that turned them on. So Stewart goes in there, he picks his favorite songs of all time. And there's a lot of surprises in there from this guy because he knows. Listen, he was in one of the greatest bands of all time. I don't need and to remind you. He's a great you. drummer. He's a great yeah, drummer. Yeah, listen to that. You don't have to put on the red light. There he is, drumming Roxanne. Don't stand so close to me. So close to me. Message in a bottle. Every little thing she does is magic. Every breath you take. Come on, what's the matter with you? You got to listen to this guy. So we're bringing you that on Howard 101. That's going to be Friday. Don't ask me what time. I don't know. And you never uh, know what up, time it is. <laughs> no, I never announce the time because if I do, I have to go quack, quack. <laughs> oh, here it is. All right, I'll announce the time. Friday at 7 p.m., quack, quack, quack Eastern quack. and Pacific on Howard 101 and the Sirius XM app. Quack, quack. Quack, quack. Also, uh, you know what I like to do? I don't like to give the time for these specials because what I do is I tell people, just start listening now. Oh. And then when and then when Friday rolls around, you can't miss it. Start right now. <laughs> I never understood why they go. It's uh, the special will be at seven o'clock. Why do that? Just just keep listening. Never tune out, and then you won't miss a thing. And that's what I suggest you do. By the way, Dolly Parton will be here today, also uh, promoting her new album, Rockstar. Also coming up soon, your boyfriend Bradley Cooper will be here. Bradley Cooper. Uh, well, uh, uh, you know, you've been keeping us apart, so finally yeah. you're bringing him in. I saw <laughs> so his we new can movie. Get our thing back together. You saw it already, Maestro. I saw that yeah. new movie. I've only um, seen pictures of him playing Leonard Bernstein. Very and good he movie. Looks like him. It looks like him. It's very, very, very good movie. Like really top notch. And like I did say to him, man, that movie. You know. It, I guess I'm so used to seeing some movies that have very little, you know, I love movies that have no redeeming qualities. You know, I right. love they like, just um, are <laughs> like, I love one of my favorite movies all time is kissing booth one and two, not so much three, but, but you like action too. Like if buildings are oh, blowing up and people are getting killed and used as, I love as like uh shields, you love that stuff. <laughs> I'm dying to ask my psychiatrist why I am fascinated by revenge movies. I love them so much, but I will not ask him because I don't want him to think I'm crazy. Uh, but I love revenge movies. And I You've love. You've been um, in there 20 something years and you think he doesn't think you're crazy? 
Oh, no. No, I conceal most of my thoughts from him. I, I would never reveal my true self. Are you crazy? <laughs> I put up a front. Um, no, but, you know, I do love revenge. In fact, I've been watching on the Internet. I haven't seen uh, the Denzel Washington Equalizer 4 yet. But, oh, my God, they got every clip, every really good revenge scene in Equalizer 4 is up there on YouTube. And I got to tell you. And you sit and watch just the clips. Oh, yeah. I've practically seen the whole movie, but not in the order they want me to see it. (laughs) Like, I've seen the ending to the movie. And I tell you, I've watched it 900 times. There's a scene in the new Equalizer 4 where there's a mafia. He's in Italy. He loves Italy. There's some mafia guys who are fucking with the whole town. He beats up, he uses one hand, he's squeezing the mafia guy's hand with just his thumb. Denzel Washington, 900-year-old Denzel Washington, just squeezing the guy with his thumb and his forefinger. And it's so good. That's not, someone wrote down it's equalizer three, not four. I believe it's four. I forget what number it is. What's the premise of equalizer four? Because it says on there equalizer four. And that's the latest one. I saw it in the movie theater. It's in Italy. And it's a mafia guy, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm telling you. I've seen almost the whole movie. <laughs> Out of order. <laughs> you have it's, not seen any of the speaking parts. Uh, unless they were yeah, leading into right. a, a big fight. What a fucking movie that is. That Denzel Washington. I love that guy. I mean, he I love the you guy. Think you can, he can do that stuff. Yeah, I believe that he could kill someone like <laughs> just by like squeezing their their hand. What is it, Jay? So, just to correct, we're in the back looking. Equalizer three came out this year. Equalizer yep. four has been announced, but hasn't come out yet. Oh, okay, so, so I'm it's watching Equalizer three. You then? Yeah. So. Oh, clips four. I so didn't know that. One to look forward to. Well, let me tell you something. I didn't know that because then I will download Equalizer three. Where can I stream that? Oh boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get some more information for you. We'll make sure you know you can stream it now because I saw it. I told you it was uh, on streaming. Look at this, Robin. Equalizer three grossed 189 million dollars worldwide so far this year. Of course it did. I never saw a movie like this. I I watched the (laughs) clips. I can't believe it. (laughs) It's the greatest fucking movie ever. And I got to tell you something. I loved the early John Wick more than anybody. But the last John Wick, I bought it on, um, or I don't know, I streamed it. You, I hope you rented it. You didn't buy it. I think I rented it. I'd be embarrassed to say I bought, I bought it. <laughs> really? <laughs> don't embarrass myself here. <laughs> Jesus, what a piece of shit. They, they I didn't get, want to oh. tell you. I, I also saw oh. that one, and I was like, they ruined they should have stopped you know, at three. I'll tell you the truth. They should have stopped at two between <laughs> you and me. Three was shit and four was shit because all he does is kill people. Now, I love watching people kill people on film. But you got to have a little story. Like I, when when, when yeah, Denzel Washington. No reason for all that. No, when Denzel Washington goes after the mob guys, I I care about the town. I care about him getting yeah. revenge. When the equalizer goes after, I think it was equalizer two, where the girl is, he's going to try and save the girl from those dudes, the Russian dudes who are uh, their pimps. Yeah. And he goes in and he says to the guy, 
Denzel Washington walks into the pimp's office and he goes, um, I have an envelope here of $9,000. And the Russian guy goes, what the fuck is $9,000? He says, I want to buy this girl back from you. Just take the money and I'll get out of here and let me bring the girl. And the guy looks at him with disdain. He says, you insult me, equalizer. You insult me. You $9,000. Tell you what. $9,000 for this girl a month, you'll bring me $9,000 a month. And before I hand her over to you, I'm going to let every guy in this place fuck her so she'll be all used up. $9,000. Do you Americans think you can walk in here and tell me that, that, that you can buy my women? You insult me. And Denzel goes, he takes the $9,000 envelope back. He goes, I'm lucky, you're lucky I let you leave here. There's 50 guys in the room with this guy making this speech. <laughs> they all have knives and guns. Denzel locks the door. Instead of leaving, he locks the door, puts the money in his pocket, takes a few minutes to calculate in his head how long it's going to take to kill these guys. He's wearing a watch. He's looking. He's just, hmm, 35 seconds. I could kill all these fucks. 50 guys in there with guns. But now you want Denzel to kill this guy because he's holding women. You know, he's, he's a pimp. All right. Yeah. You know, he's being a dick. And one, two, three. Uh, under 35 seconds. He, I think he killed them all in like 13 seconds. Because <laughs> the equalizer has this thing. He likes the time, the way he kills everybody. He likes to see how much time it takes. And he knows how everybody's going to move. Like, yeah, so he's yeah, already yeah. there when you try to get it. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I watched that same stupid scene over and over again. The scene of the equalizer no, on the train. You know the dialogue. I'm like, what? I know everything. Are you kidding? <laughs> How about when the equalizer, I, I think it's an equalizer one. He's on a train and there's some oh, Romanian that's a good dude. One. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He kills everyone on the train. There's a guy, a, a Romanian, you know, a bad guy. He's got seven guys, all with shaved heads, tattoos, guns, knives, you name it. They got <laughs> one, two, three. And Denzel gives him a whole speech. He goes, Tells you know, they I don't want to mess with him. You're, yeah, he's yeah, he's trying a, to warn them off. He goes, I don't want trouble. You don't want trouble. And he's dressed as a Muslim. Remember, he's got the, right. the kofi on little and hat everything. On. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little hat. <laughs> he kills all those guys. I love it. I don't think there's a better movie on the planet than Equalizer 1, 2, and 3. It's the greatest I don't think movie so. ever. <laughs> I'm good. I used to say The Godfather. I, or, you know, and, and fuck Scorsese. I'm telling you, I don't even know who the director is of The Equalizer, but it's good. I think it's a guy named Anton Foie or something. Anton Foie. 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 Isn't that goose that you eat? Like a goose liver? Quaqua? No, that's pate or foie gras. <laughs> oh, foie gras. Anton foie gras. Wow, that's a gosh. He should win a, an Academy Award. I'm not he joking. He should be nominated. He should be nominated at least. Yeah, Anton Fragois. This guy <laughs> is a genius. I'm telling you, the way he does the action scenes. And let's face it, how old is Denzel Watch now? He's got to be 80 years old. Uh, I don't. I don't know. He's in his I mean, 70s. Gotta I'm be. sure. He's got to be. This guy, I, I believe that Denzel Washington can kill you and everyone in this room in three seconds. <laughs> you should leave Denzel alone if you see him because, right. you know, he really is that guy. <laughs> he's so charming. I mean, he does not look like he's physically fit at all, but man, I buy it. Uh, oh, this guy, Fragois, he also directed <laughs> Training Day. Yes, which yeah. he won an Academy Award for. 
Yeah, which one was that? Who is in Training Day? I'm, he I know I like is it. There with what's his name? Oh God, that name just slipped out of my head. But he's a a cop, and he's got a trainee with him. Oh, Ethan Hawke was in that, yes, right? Yes, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, Hawk. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was good. This guy, a, you know, everybody talks about a Steven Spielberg. Which what he's, about by the way, Steven Spielberg? Well, I mean, he, he's one of our greatest directors. Let's be honest. I mean, the guy's a genius. But I but believe. Why are you bringing him up? Um, I'm making I'm a point. I and he's yeah. won Academy. I believe Antoine Fargois is a better <laughs> director. Because Anton Foigar can take a ridiculous premise and a shitty script and turn it into magic. $189 million oh worldwide. Oh, my goodness. I mean, let me see. I mean, who in this economy and this day and age way the movie business is going can make $189 million worldwide in this year? And only, it's not only, a superhero movie. Right. Only Antoine Foigar. <laughs> By the way, I don't eat Foigar. I've been to restaurants where I didn't know what it was. And I've always heard that, you know, very fancy people eat frog wah. You know what frog wah is? It is a goose liver. But what they do, I think they, what do they do to get the frog wah? Isn't it something well, disgusting? They, they stuff food, they, they force food, feed the geese so that their livers become very fat, very fatty. Oh, that's fucked up. You know. Uh, is it geese they feed or ducks? Yeah, Fees. it's they geese. They feed geese. I got to tell you, I went for my walk yesterday. My wife wasn't with me. She was having lunch with a friend. I'm by myself, and I'm walking, and I'm listening to Dolly Parton's new music because I want to be familiar with it because she's coming on. Well, Dolly does a really great rendition of Leonard Skinner's Free Bird. Now, it's crazy. So I'm walking, and I walk by these ducks and the geese. By a pond. And the music's going. And I'm look. I This was the closest I've ever come to a God feeling. You know. Like a cosmic feeling. Like I'm really? listening to this music. I, yeah. And I'm looking at the sunshine. And I'm looking at the geese. And I'm looking at the ducks. And I see beauty all around me. She's singing like an angel. One of the dudes from uh, Leonard Skinner is actually singing with her. Posthumously, the, the, the wife, the, the widow gave her the tape or something. It's a whole saga. But, and I'm like, this is fucking beautiful. The world is beautiful. The world is so beautiful. Why is everyone fighting? Why are we fighting people? Why are we fighting? I had a moment. Yeah, Dolly got permission from Ronnie Van Zant's widow to use his voice. She wouldn't give it to Leonard Skinner, but she did it for Dolly. Dolly, like, uh, a lot of people like her. She's got a lot of goodwill built up, so she gets this stuff. I guess the widow didn't like the rest of the dudes from Van Z you know, from, from uh, Leonard Skinner or something. I don't know what was going on. But Dolly wasn't fucking around. The, the version of Freebird was 10 minutes and 45 seconds, which was a good thing because I was having a moment. Had oh, the, uh, so it air lasted. It didn't go lasted. away. No. I had the AirPods on. I'm staring at... I felt like Sal talking to the birds. I'm looking for dimes <laughs> on the ground. You know what I mean? Uh-oh. <laughs> Don't you come in here oh, and start man. saying that that's a sign that your dad is talking to you or watching over you. Yeah. Tim, go ahead. You're on the air in Tennessee. Another guy from Tennessee. Okay. A lot of people hey. from Tennessee. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, this is Travis. Hey, now. Oh, it says Tim. All First right. But hey, Travis. 
What's up? Hey, long time uh, listener. Uh, JD has one of the spoons that he collected from Bollywood. You know, I want to ask him about oh. the spoon collection. I didn't know he had a Dollywood spoon. Yeah, JD yeah. is the coolest guy I know. He collects spoons. You don't meet many people who uh, collect spoons. They they In can't fact, be a cooler. He's the first. <laughs> you can't be a cooler guy than that. I mean, that's something you want to brag about. Do he's you really got that have a whole thing? Yeah, up. JD, do you really have a Dolly Parton spoon? Is that true? I don't. I don't remember having an actual Dolly Parton spoon, but uh, I have been to Dollywood. Dollywood. I have been yeah. to Do- I have been to Dollywood at least once. My I have family in Tennessee near Pigeon Forge. Uh, do you do you, you do you don't have any what you took back from Pigeon I, Forge? I, well, there's one thing. There was a uh, there's a place called the Dixie Stampede that was there. It was like a uh, what's that? Um, oh fuck, like a rodeo. It's kind of like a rodeo. It's kind of like a live show. You go there and eat. I forget what the what the night place is called, but it's kind of like that, but with a cowboy theme. And um, I have a cup that's in the shape of a boot from the Dixie Stampede. I don't wow. know if it's, if it's even called Dixie Stampede. Dude, you got the coolest stuff. You know that? <laughs> here's a fact for you, Tim. Uh-huh. JD used to keep his spoons in a safe. He thought they were of great value, right? Didn't you have them locked up for a while? Uh, they weren't. It wasn't a very a lockable safe, but yeah, I, I kept. Oh, come on. I kept. Uh, it was, I kept uh, memories and stuff in there, and sure, the spoons were memories <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of, the, you think- of places I went to and stuff. Yeah. Robin, do you think the guy who invented the safe uh, was envisioning was a spoon collection? It was more of a, ca- <laughs> was more of a, of a cabinet uh, than the safe. There was an actual lock. I think the lock has fallen off. Very nice. Very but, nice. Uh, well, anyway. One more thing is Kelly uh, Parton did a song with uh, Rob Halford. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk to her about that. Yeah. Rob Halford. And you know who else is on that song with Dolly? John Five. I think that guy's a motherfucker on the guitar. I mean, he's really good. They did a heavy yeah, metal song. John Bob. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, later. Thank you, Howard. I knew yeah, J.D. J- had brought something home from Pigeon Forge. He wouldn't have left if it wasn't a spoon. I, he had to have something I, I, else. I might have gotten a spoon from around there, but I don't remember specifically a place. Uh, it, was, it was it was like I was a kid. I, I haven't been back there since uh, I was a kid. So, But I, I had the cup. I thought the cup was cool. It was in the shape of a boot. I thought it was cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you, you're the coolest. <laughs> Bye, J.D. A spoon now he collects them from every state that's why he never gets laid and he only masturbates this chubby nerd collects spoons this chubby nerd his sex life is doomed that's a good song, Eli Braden. If you oh, yeah, Eli. thanks, Eli. He's the one to talk about. He's the one to talk about being yeah. chubby. <laughs> JD's going to a duck dinner tonight, by the way, where he will a be duck having dinner. Yeah, he's having Peking duck prepared table side. Dude, I don't eat duck. I can't eat them. I, I love duck. so cute. I know, oh, I listen to cute, but I, I, I like to taste them too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they taste good and they look Sorry. good. <laughs> yeah.
Who are you going with? Blit, I guess. That sounds like a Blit thing. Uh, yeah, Blit. Uh, it's like a Friendsgiving type uh, thing. Blit invited me, and uh, yeah, I don't know who else. I think Wilding, and uh, yeah, I don't know. JD is really tied in with that John Blit and uh, fancy and lifestyle. And it's Peking Duck for Friendsgiving, huh? I, 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 I didn't even know necessarily Ooh. what the place was. He just invited me, and I said, okay, so, yeah. Quack, quack. All right. <laughs> <laughs> quack, quack. So it's you, Chris Wilding, John Blit, Jason. Oh, Jason. Okay, Jason. I don't know. I, I don't know that, uh, everyone. I think, uh, there's a, uh, back office guy. I think Flandina is going. He's not back Let me office. ask you something. Who, who picks up the tab on this? Uh, we, we'll, we'll all go in together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had a whole big dinner out in, uh, uh, Vegas for Ronnie's wedding. It was like, you know, Gary and Will and, Blit and uh, John Harris and uh, Shusher and uh, uh, you know someone else, but uh, yeah, we all uh, we all. How much? Uh, how much is a dinner like that? I mean, it sounds to me like there's going to be champagne and. Uh, well, listen, I t- I tell Blit ahead of time. Listen, you know, we don't have to go crazy. We don't go crazy. Uh, if he wants to order something, you know, very expensive, go right ahead. It's on you. But uh, it, it can be like a hundred or you know two hundred dollars. Oh, look at this. I just saw the guest list here. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah? Listen to, listen to who's going with J.D. to the big duck dinner tonight. <laughs> Should I be jealous? <laughs> You're going to be when I say this name. <laughs> Ari Fink from the Fish Channel is going. Wow. Oh. I didn't know that. How'd that happen, Making Blit? connections outside uh, of that, our little group, huh? Do we, uh, Robin, do we allow that, the other channels, to? I don't know. Hang with our I guys? Have, I have to really think about this, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. All I know is if you're on the Fish Channel, that guy can't have much money. I mean, uh, <laughs> you, you think they pay our guy shitty. Wait till you see what uh, Ari Fink's making, uh, what he's pulling down over at the Fish Channel. What, uh, Blit, you know that guy? How do you know him? Through working here, I want to thank you. He's become such a great <laughs> friend, Howard. So, <laughs> truly. Thank you. This guy travels about- all over the place for fish and goose. He, he just flew to fucking, uh, what the, how did he go? Norway or wherever? Copenhagen. Copenhagen, and Denmark. Who <laughs> went to Copenhagen? Lord. He did. Uh, me. Oh, Ari Fink? No, John Blit. No, John oh. Blit. Just what do you mean, John? What do you mean? Uh, Ari took you with him to Copenhagen? No, no, no. I went with, uh, this has nothing to do with Ari. I went with my friend Neil. We went to Copenhagen and Berlin to see goose. Um, Goose. Goose. What is that? They're an amazing band. They are fantastic. Went to see them in two tiny venues. It was really a great time. And there's lots of cross section between Howard Stern fans and Goose fans. So it was why uh, why didn't uh, you take JD with you? You usually That's, take him on uh, stuff. We don't, like know. That. we don't need to. Do no, but we are getting him to come to see Fish at the Sphere. If no, they play not, there. We don't need. Ronnie to do is our... going. Stephanie is going. And first JD all, is going. First of all, as well. he thinks the, the, the Fish isn't even booked at the Sphere. He th- yes. he keeps thinking the Sphere is going to have Fish. One can dream. He's like projecting <laughs> some sort of concert in, in the Sphere for Fish. Yeah. So why do you get upset, JD, when he says you're going to go see Fish at the Sphere? There's no concert. Oh, we'll just well, go. Yeah, all, sure. Oh, well, <laughs> well, first of all, I, uh, I I'm not a big Fish guy. I went to one concert. Right. You need two no, to really start two. liking no, it. No, no, it's no, true. No. Trust me, dude, dude. These songs they go on for half an hour. For That's crying. right. No, they're a jam band. Oh, I they're get a jam. It. All right. They yeah. uh, they, they don't stop. Yeah. Uh, the, the song kept going for ten minutes. I right. was like, what the fuck?
Sometimes they go longer. <laughs> uh, they do. Yeah, Goose in Europe was incredible. Oof, what a great Who time. else is going to be at the uh, at the big dinner tonight? What so, about Human Newman? You guys Human with Newman, him at all? we invited him. He didn't want to come. Is Dan, that true? He, no, no, no. <laughs> Dan DeBeer is coming. Dan DeBeer. Who's is, that? He's a great guy. Yeah, he another lives, fish guy. Another fish guy that we met through <laughs> oh. Ari Fink. Terrific guy. Huge fan of the show. Wonderful human being. Yeah, that's it. Wow. He, so uh, it's a big, it's a big, uh, a big gathering tonight. Yeah, a huh? little mini little gathering. Do you think it's going to be disruptive when the fans see JD at the restaurant? And uh, is he going to cause a scene? Uh, the fans, the, the, the fans cause a scene when no, they see right. JD, and it's the best experience <laughs> ever when he gets recognized. I love it. It's a good spot for JD. The top floor is the, uh, the Duck Restaurant. Right, we don't have to tell. And then, hang on a going, second, dude. I'm not saying it. He's so nervous about people stalking him. And then the second, yeah, he can't tell where he's going to. I'm be. not saying where we're going. Well, he's a superstar. That's right. But the <laughs> yeah. second floor is a lounge where JD will lounge and meet people. I'm going to introduce him to everyone. No, I don't yeah, want to be. Yeah. In Stop it. Trust me. You need to meet so people. So you will, you're going to, after the duck dinner, yes. you'll take JD downstairs where you'll help him to meet the public. Yes, no. exactly. Have conversations right. and no shtick. Just, <laughs> right. just really let him enjoy his fans and the people and to conversate. It's going to be great. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And and will Ari Fink uh, from the Fish Channel also be meeting people yep. and hanging with JD? Yes. They, they're they very yeah. excited to meet JD again. Dan met Who's, him Go ahead. I'm curious because you you hang out with JD. Who's more excited to meet him, men or women, or or is women. it both sexes? I mean, it's women. Bo it's both. I'm telling you, we were walking in Brooklyn Heights the other day, and this <laughs> this super attractive woman stops first. JD, she's like, "Oh my God, JD Harmeyer," and they lose their minds. <laughs> this has happened in Times Square, in the Village, in Vegas. JD, everywhere. how do you handle the fandom? How do you handle all of the people, I, I, especially I the say, women? You know, it's nice to nice to meet you. Hello or whatever, and. Uh, you know, should JD Blit? Blit, Blit how does JD handle it? Is he handling it well, or is he? Is, should he be more friendly? What do you? What is your observation? I'll be honest with you. At first, he would give everyone the cold shoulder, but after kind of hanging out with me, I'm like JD, you can't be rude to your fans. And now he's gracious, he's interested, he's communicative, and he, yeah, he's totally appreciative. Uh, no, of the fans. I'm not. I'm nowhere near like Rich or Christie, but you know, I do like. I, I do. I, I don't want to leave people with a a, a bad impression or whatever. If they want to say hello, well, say I'm hello. kidding. I'm reading between the lines here. Blit thinks you're leaving people with a bad impression yeah. because you're being a little bit closed off to your I fans. Love, love yes, <laughs> a little aloof. Can I say something? <laughs> Fans yeah. now are intimidated to stop JD. I know this for a fact. Don't, so now don't I would like to don't say something. No, I would like to say don't one say thing. This. If you see JD anywhere, stop him. <laughs> say hello. <laughs> Ask him for a selfie. <laughs> Ask him. Stop uh, him anywhere you right. see him. Uh, right. Yeah. Do you? You know, Let it has been something, Howard, because JD obviously women are coming up to him. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they all. They all does he? Does he have charm? Does he, you know, <laughs> does course he treat he these women well? That's insulting. Oh, he's getting well. better and better. So he's women getting better. Women on social media are sending me messages about JD nonstop. They are fascinated by this young 
gentleman. <laughs> well, Chris Wilding, I don't want to talk out of school, but Chris Wilding said to me, J.D. can come off as very angry to his fans. Mm. And uh, that's what I'm concerned about because he is a representative of the show. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, wow, he just bolted uh, right in here. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you know, by the way, I love my uh, airtime, J.D. Yeah, no, no, but Chris, what is going on? What have you observed? And I, don't, I want the truth, well, not some... Oh, well, maybe truth, I should go to this truth. thing. I don't need to be observed uh, anymore by anyone. No, observed. I, I like JD and I, I like to think we're good friends, but I think there's a part of JD because he's socially awkward. Yes. It comes out as. Oh, really? It comes out as. <laughs> but sometimes it's cute. Sometimes it's cute. Notice. Sometimes it's endearing, but sometimes it comes out yeah. as anger. And like I have felt for the last three months that JD is extremely angry with me. And I think it's just. I don't know what it is. It's just well, it's, it's I know what you're talking about, Chris. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had gotten word that someone asked JD, "Are you JD?" And he just <laughs> said yes, and he kept walking. Am I correct, John? Yeah. One time, yes. I mean, yeah. Yes. I mean, what, what else I, am I supposed to do? <laughs> I put the I put the brakes on that. I was like, you can't do that. I stopped them and I made them them have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Let me uh, ask you this, John. Um, so some fans have said when they see pictures of JD, because he squints a lot, that his eyes look Asian. This yes. is what they're saying, not mm -hmm. me. They, yeah. <laughs> right. Now yeah, you're going to be having Peking duck tonight. Will you tell the waiters that JD is Asian yes. and that he speaks Chinese? I think that's a great idea. We don't that, need to give him uh, any ideas, I, Howard. I will tell him that his great-grandparents invented Peking duck. Oh, <laughs> Peking duck. No, they went. They went. Peking duck. Well, uh, wow, wow. This is an update I hadn't expected on I the know. show today. But thank you for that, Melissa. You're on the air in New Jersey. What did you want to say? Hello. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, Melissa. Yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, good morning, everyone. I love you, JD. Um, I I ah. wanted to ask you. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about your spoons. Uh, what are your? What is your favorite spoon? Not necessarily <laughs> the most expensive spoon, but your uh, favorite. Okay. Spoon. I don't know how many times I have to answer this question. I don't have that many spoons anymore. What uh, is your favorite spoon? Be nice to your there, fans. There this was, is good practice. Some, there yeah. was a, there this was, is this is a good practice yeah. for the pecking duck tonight. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I, I want to talk about my spoons. <laughs> don't be so All angry. Right. I. Uh, there, <laughs> there, was, there was a there was a nice uh, spoon I got from Universal Studios uh, in Florida. When I right. was a, a kid, I think it had Goofy on it. Uh, it was a, it was a more desirable, you know, when you went to like Cracker Barrel or all these other places that have these like regular spoons, you know, that's where I would get the spoon when I visited the state, you know, if you, uh, yeah. but, uh, you know, if you went to Universal Studios, they had interesting, uh, more, uh, design on a, on a spoon. We need to wow. rent a space. We, a small kind of art gallery space and have jd put all of his spoons on the wall and be there and take people yeah. through each spoon well in the you're store. forgetting something jd also had a, a pretty elaborate collection of pez dispensers <laughs> uh you know, how many did I you have those anymore actually i think i got rid of those and you took those out of the safe how dare you uh, they, they weren't in a safe i had them in a shoe box but i think uh, uh I think that's the problem it's dangerous uh, they got stolen but why'd you get rid of those i mean why not it get was rid of probably the something like i was moving and i was like do i really want to carry these around anymore and uh, oh, uh, <laughs> what, what about your spelling spelling trophy oh 
yeah, you that's about on, that. That's on the table at, at the at the house. Whenever you see my shot, it's at the table oh, behind oh. me. Oh, it should be in right, a museum. Okay. It's right there. By the way, for those since Melissa, you're a fan of JD, and John's going to be, and Chris is going to be with JD. I'll give you a little uh, inside information on JD. Oh no! Uh, this morning, <laughs> Jade, this morning, JD was asking staff people who work on the show what he should get for lunch today. <laughs> at uh, what? yeah, now wait, this is big news. At six forty-five this morning, we learned he's leaning toward uh, Chipotle. Chipotle. So, JD, is that still the case? Uh, there's a, a lot, there's a few options back here, but I really cannot oh. just like message anyone around here with any thought. Without just being posted. <laughs> I'll go right. with so, Chipotle, JD. Are you gonna are, are you gonna go with him to Chipotle, yeah, John? Because uh, yeah. maybe if his fans see no, him, I already there, had, would never eat there. I already, had, I already have yeah. a met uh, ask if I'm going, so. Uh, I, right. I, might be you already me, have a date. It might be me and my mat. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, may I suggest that you don't have a giant fast food burrito before your pecking duck dinner tonight? Because I uh, you could really yes, explode. I get, so. I get the taco. I get three soft shell tacos. I don't get the... And, and one thing, the duck is to share for the table. You don't, oh, shut you don't up. Get yeah, your own you know what? Now you're pulling a Will. <laughs> don't the Will does that shit all the time. <laughs> Why, is JD known to like get confused and grab the whole no, plate for himself? <laughs> When we were in, in Miami, he was like, I'm Caesar, and this is my Caesar salad no. for me only. Oh, and he, no. yeah. Was, wow. Yeah. All right. Well, he <laughs> needs to share. Gotta share. They make a bowl. They make a bowl. They make a bowl. The sound bowl table side. Yeah, he thought oh, he wanted to and, eat out of the, the bowl he, directly. He, he posted a video of it on Instagram saying, This salad was all for JD. And I was like, It was not just for me. <laughs> All right, Kelly. Uh, I mean, uh, excuse me, Melissa, have you had enough? <laughs> uh, just one more question for JD. Um, actually, I just want to let him know I actually uh, collect magnets. So maybe him and I could have our own display, kind of like an art show. <laughs> well, if this art show happens, we'll get your magnets. It's a great idea. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. Who would be silly, JD, to collect magnets yeah, and not spill it? I didn't say anything. People can I'm collect what they want. <laughs> All right. Very good. Uh, Thank Blit, you. weren't yes. you supposed to be taking JD to an art gallery? What happened? Well, don't even that's start that well, that's bullshit. Com <laughs> that's coming up. Yeah, that's coming up. There's, coming there's, up, there's plenty of torture <laughs> coming up. Don't worry. <laughs> there are things that have been happening that you don't even know about yeah. robin yeah. really yeah. jd's going to the middle east next week uh, <laughs> all right ask napkin ed is on the phone go ahead ed what do you want to do howard um can i can i um we, we had the agreement like i can i ask um uh dolly partner for a minute that was ed, not an agreement and i told you yesterday i'm not putting you on with dolly pardon that's not gonna happen no, but Howard, um, can I ask her like, um, like, can I can I say just like I'm a fan and stuff? No, what's and the point? What's the point? Let me handle things. You Howard, listen. Howard, we go through this every fucking time, man. Why do, do we go through this shit? Because I don't put you on with Dolly Parton. I'm gonna be on with Dolly what? Parton, not you. That's my gig. He wasn't and thinking I, of you when he put this together. Yeah, I mean, for years I've been waiting for Dolly Parton to come on. My whole <laughs> life. And then you're going to invade the conversation with what? And you're going to go, I, hey, Dolly, I'm a fan? I mean, she's got a billion fans. Howard, we, we have an agreement. We've had a long stand. Hold you on a second. A Hold on a second. Robin, pretend you're Dolly Parton. Okay, I'd say hi to Dolly Parton. 
Dolly, would you say hello? Ed. Hi, Ed. It's Dolly. Hey. It's you. You, you. you said you wanted to talk to me? You got a question? Yeah, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. Oh, you sound good. Thank you. Ed, do you have a question for Dolly? Because, again, I, I agreed yeah. to put you on with her, and now you're talking to her. Go ahead and ask her something. Okay, what, like, what's your favorite song? Oh, of mine? Yeah, well, I understand you're putting out a heavy metal music. Well, it's rock and roll, and there is some heavy metal in, on it. Oh. All right, so, Ed, you've I... spoken to Dolly, so uh, thank you. Thanks, Ed. Okay. Bye bye. All right, Ed's a big fan, Dolly. Thank you for speaking with him. Are we Thank cool you. now, Ed? Right. Can I can I um, hang out and stuff? Hey, Dolly, yeah. is, is there a chance that Ed? Howard? Well, maybe if he would come down to let's say Tennessee, could he stop by your place and stuff? Or you don't? You're more of a private person. Uh, I'm going to be very busy. Ah, okay. Promoting All right, Ed. New, but, how are you? I mean, Ed does have ass worms and wears a napkin in his underpants, Dolly. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I do not cotton. Do you realize that I'm only... Are you back in the studio and shit? Yeah, yeah. Right here in the studio. With me? Oh, do you realize I'm only... Like two hours out from, from yeah. I'm All right, in, man. In, I gotta go. In fact, uh, uh, I gotta I'll take a break. I'll be gone in two hours. Ed. Yeah. Don't All be right. Silly. Thanks, Ed. Howard, All right. Please yeah. do me a favor and tell her that that I want to talk to her. Well, All you right. just told me. Come on, Robin. Come uh, on. I thought we had him fooled. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> you know what happened? You slipped into your British accent for I a know, second. There. I know, I know. My accent was all um, over the place. I'm so excited to be announcing that Dolly Parton is here, which is remarkable. Uh, a living legend, uh, the icon, Dolly Parton. It's just. She's going to mag- honor us by being here. That's a wonderful thing. A magnificent career, and uh, wow, we hail you. For sure, Dolly. Great to see you. Well, it's nice to see you, Howard. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> where Where are you right now? Because it looks fabulous. You have guitars hanging on the walls. You, you. It's it's fabulous. Where Where are you? Well, I I'm actually in our studios here in Nashville, and that's all props. We set it up good for you because I wanted to look good for you, and I thought I'd get the shiniest thing I had to wear because I wanted to dazzle you today. You look fantastic. You really, truly you. do. I was looking Thank at that you. book you're releasing, too. Aside from the album Rockstar, the book uh, is a, a, a fabulous book of all of the outfits that you wore throughout the years and uh, even your legendary uh, Playboy cover and uh, all that stuff. That's uh, You got a lot of stuff coming out, right? This Lord, is, uh, I do. You know how it is when you get your brand so to speak, <laughs> you yeah. sell everything you can. But yeah, I'm proud of that little book. It's called Behind the Seams, My Life in Rhinestones. And it does go from the time I was little, starting in the business, till up to now. So there's some pretty funny stuff in there. I look at it and think, oh, my Lord, was I serious about that? But I know I was. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was I, I wore it. <laughs> I was so excited about this because 
you know, I had Barbara Streisand on recently, and there's a couple of people in the entertainment industry who start out young, you know, they, they sort of are on a mission their whole lives, and I'm fascinated by that because, I mean, you do you consider yourself a savant or a prodigy in some way? Because at nine years old, you were writing songs, you were singing, you were on television by the time you were nine years old, and not like some... You, it's not like you had some stage mother. It's almost like you were self-propelled. You know what I mean? At nine years old, to have the wherewithal to start singing on TV, it's quite well, remarkable. Well, I'm no Barbara Streisand, that's for sure. But I did. I'm from a very musical family, and a lot of my my relatives used to sing in church and around, you know, all the local things, weddings, funerals, and shindigs, all of that. But I had an uncle, my uncle Bill, that took an interest in me, seeing how serious I was about it, and he taught me how to play the guitar. And I was playing from the time I was seven, so he used to take me around. But I knew the second I stepped on that stage that that was what i was supposed to do for the rest of my life and here i am i'm doing it still but dolly at seven years old you start to play the guitar was it apparent that you were exceptional at it uh, because uh, even even the guitar playing i think you downplay somewhat this finger you know the, the, the finger plucking and uh you know you're not just strumming a couple of chords you're a pretty accomplished guitar player, you know, and, and people don't consider that. Was the family like, oh, my God, this kid has something so special that it's so mind blowing. Did they recognize it right away? Well, my mama was always intrigued that I could rhyme stuff and I'd write songs. And, and I'm from a big family, as you know, 12 kids. And, of course, I was I had a sister, two brothers older. So I started noticing really early on that that's how I was getting more attention than the rest of them. So when people would come to my house, mama would say, hey, run and get your little guitar. I want you to hear what this little young wrote. So then I'd play and then I got I was getting all that attention. So I just realized early on that if nothing else it was a good way to be noticed but i was serious about the work and i would write songs without have living you know having had lived the songs but from everything i'd hear them talk about relatives that had been killed in the war or whatever i was writing some pretty morbid songs at seven and eight years old but i would just write about what i heard what i felt what i saw but i was not that great like i said i was no streisand but i developed through the years and uh, i just knew i loved it and i just tried to get better and better still do when, when you have a family where there's 12 children, your mother had 12 children by the time she was 35 years old. I, I, to me, because I don't come from a large family, that sounds depressing to me to be a child trying to get some kind of attention. Because you know when there's that many kids around and you're, you know, you're not from some wealthy family where they have time for you. Maybe the whole drive to be this superstar entertainer, to want it from such an early age, was to say, can someone please notice me? Would somebody <laughs> give me some attention? Was there any any thought of that in your mind now that you look back on your life? 
Oh, well, it wasn't to that depth and that degree. I just noticed I was getting attention. But now, a lot of my family, like I said, I'm from a musical family. All my mama's people were very musical. And so a lot of my brothers and sisters love to sing and play. But I'm the one that early on, I just really wanted to play that guitar. I wanted to write these songs. I wanted uh, people to hear them. So I just really saw that this was a way kind of not only as time went by, I realized it was a way out of the mountains, not that I wasn't proud proud to be from the mountains and wasn't proud of my family. I just saw this was something that I, my personality was enough to where I could actually get out and maybe make something of it. And my Uncle Bill uh, and my family were supportive of it. You know, my mom. They were. Yeah. Was there any jealousy because you achieved fame at such a young age? I mean, you were so, so steadfast in what you wanted to do in life i mean you graduated high school ran right out to nashville the next day i mean that was it you were you were on a mission <laughs> but was there envy and jealousy as you start to get on tv and you start to become really accomplished i think they were more proud than anything i just think it was i was just an extension of them and the family even though some of them were just as good as i was i just kind of had that extra drive and my uncle bill like i say was really behind me all the way so if they were jealous they didn't say it mom would have probably smacked them if they had <laughs> said something bad somebody got their mouth mashed but uh i don't know if there was envy maybe there would probably was some envy but wasn't the kind of thing that was a big deal it's like anybody's envious of somebody doing something they can also do but i have several brothers and sisters that have gone on uh you know to record and to write songs and, and do a lot of great great things so i wasn't the only one with the talent i was just lucky that i was the one that got out and really was able to make a bigger living at it See, I don't think it's luck. I had Arnold Schwarzenegger on recently, and he wrote this inspirational book about the hard work that goes into, you know. And you said something that I thought was great, and I wanted to bring it up while you were here. You said, my songwriting talent is a gift from God, which I believe. I think some people have a proclivity. They have some ability, they, you know, having a great singing voice, all that stuff. But you said you have to respect and develop it. And you said you carried around a pad and a pen in a Ziploc bag making sure the Ziploc bag would waterproof anything you wrote down. This is how meticulous you were about it. You would scribble ideas down anywhere, anytime. And this is what I'm talking about, what I find inspirational. There's lots of people who are born with a gift, and they let it wither on the vine. They don't work at it. You work. You write, right? You, do you get up every day and write? Well, I write something almost every day because even when I'm putting on my makeup, my mind is always going. I may not always complete a song, but I write down ideas in the, and put them in that Ziploc bag or stick them in a drawer and go back to them later. But yeah, it's true that I work. I get that work at ethic from my dad my mother's people were very spiritual and very musical and my dad he was one of those people that made his living by the sweat of his brow and the bend of his back so i get that from my daddy and i think i'm a good combination between mom and daddy and i've always looked back on that thinking about how daddy used to work till he just had to sit down and you know just 
I couldn't work anymore. And so I think about that. And when there's no greater feeling, though, I just feel like a workman when I'm doing that because nothing better than when you've ended the day and you feel like you've really done something great, accomplished something, whether it's farming or whether it's writing songs or making records or whatever. If you feel like you've done your best, then then that's a good day. That's a good day's work. Haven't you seen people in the music industry when you I'm talking about the nitty gritty of the, the, the songwriting and everything that have a lot of talent and they throw it away, whether they're on drugs, whether they're they're just like, oh, screw it. It's sad, isn't it? They, they have an ability, but they don't they're not willing to work at it. Well, that's true. And a lot of people don't realize why they make it. A lot of people have, have said to me, even relatives, well, why did you, you know, why'd you make it? I said, cause I work all the time. I'm like a horse with blinders. Like you said, I think this is my job and I have to do it. Nobody's going to do it for me. And I wrote a song once called Sacrifice and it says, I was going to, you know, I was going to be rich no matter how much it cost, and I was going to win no matter how much I lost. And all through the years, I've kept my eye on the prize. And you ask if it's worth the sacrifice, and it talks about you don't you don't drink the water if you don't dig the well. You know, it's that that kind of a thing. So I have also noticed so many talented people, and I know you've seen this too. They'll get on a good a good path. They'll be, you know, the motivation is there and they're moving ahead and then something will distract them. Like you say, whether it's drugs or alcohol or a relationship or decide, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And they think they can stop for a minute. But if you've got that momentum going, it's hard to jump back on track a year later, two years later, if that relationship or something didn't work out or if you kind of veered off. I never, ever, ever have just, you know, thought, I'm going to quit. This is not what I'm going to do. I've never thought of doing anything else. So there is a lot to be said about it. I feel like I'm more fortunate than lucky. Maybe lucky's not the right word, but I also feel I've been blessed. Absolutely. And I try not to take that for, for granted. You have been blessed, but you still work out. I have a friend who is a great painter, and he said, there were many people I knew growing up, growing up who were better artists than I was. He said, except I wanted to be the best. And he worked at it and worked at it. So it's got to make you angry when someone says to you, oh, Dolly, you're so lucky. You got all the birds. <laughs> it's it's comical. Yeah, well, I don't take it as an insult. I just that a lot of times when people say that, they just mean, wow, look what all you've done. And people, luck is a word I think people just use loosely. But we know better. What is there's a term about? Uh, you know, luck is, uh, or something about inspiration, perspiration. Yeah. What is that? Whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 90% perspiration and, you know, 10% so, inspiration. Or, if I can understand the songwriting process. So you say, okay, I carry around this bag. I got a Ziploc bag. I have notes I write. So I take it for you, a song begins when you get some sort of poetry in your head. There's something, it's not about this, the, the tune, it's more about the words. Not always, sometimes I'll get a melody, and that's also, by the same token, I keep that little uh, pencil and pad 
uh, and a little Ziploc to keep the ideas in. But I always try to keep a little uh, tape recorder somewhere near because if I get a melody, that's the same as like words. If you don't write it down, you're going to forget it. You'll think you'll yes. remember it, but you won't. Sometimes I'll dream a song. And I learned years ago, no matter how hard you don't want to wake up, if you don't wake up and write that down, you will not remember that. And so same thing with a melody. I don't want to lose a melody. So I try to quick as I can to get to a tape recorder, some way to, you know, to put it down. I am so glad you said that. The one thing that pisses me off more than anything is people who think the human brain is a good place to store things. It is the worst place. It, the brain does not retain ideas. It's a good place for dreaming ideas. You've got to write them down. You do. And the older you get, the worse that is. <laughs> Absolutely. Like you, you forget more and more as, as time goes by. But I've even because I have so many ideas, I get so many melodies and so many titles. I'll be sitting in a restaurant and I'll be looking around and I'll I'll be thinking something about that couple or something I was thinking or or I'll hear something or in a conversation. And I think, wow, that would be a great idea for a song or wow, what a great line. So I try not to ever lose anything. And as a writer, I think all writers do that. Serious songwriters we will write on a tablecloth. We'll write on a napkin, on a Kleenex box, whatever, you know, is handy. And I'll use a Maybelline pencil. You know, eyeliner, lipstick, pencil, anything I can get my hands on, because I know if I don't do it right then, I will forget it. And then I want to kill myself later to think, what was that great idea? I know it was great. So you just learn. That's part of your trade. You just learn, like you said, You that's also part of that work ethic. Like you're saying, don't take anything for granted. If this is your job, you do it and you do it good. No, I love that. I remember interviewing Willie Nelson. I've interviewed him many times and I find him fascinating. And he said there was one moment in his career where two or three of his biggest hits, you know, Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground, he's driving in his car and he heard all those songs at once because he said driving in the car makes me so relaxed. <laughs> Is there a place like that for you? Is it the shower, the bathtub? Is it like where suddenly your mind just zones and then music starts flooding in? Uh, mostly for me, it's in the mornings. I, I'm a very early riser. I get up and my mind is fresh then. And so when I'm fixing breakfast or doing my coffee, but mostly when I sit down to do my makeup, because I've got the table there, I've got my makeup laying around, and I've got my notepad there and my little tape recorder. And I'm always, I mean, I've got little stacks of things in the drawers right below my makeup. You know, in the same little area where I work, where I, I mean, somehow just when I'm looking at myself, putting on makeup, you know, my mind is working. Everything is kind of work. My hands are working. And somehow there's just something about that time of the morning. And when I'm doing that, that I get some of my best ideas. The mornings are always best for me. Can I ask you a specific, and, and I got this timed out, I'm, I'm going to move all the way through into Rockstar, the album, because I got to talk to you about some of the amazing people that you've attracted. But this song in particular, I just want to ask you the process. That's the Whitney Houston version, okay? And then, of course, when we hear your version. Unbelievably, one of the greatest love songs of all time. Where were you when this came to you? Now, I know the backstory. That Porter Wagner guy, you were like working with him on television. 
guy is a lovely guy. Gave you a break. You were a young woman. He makes you his co-host on the Porter Wagoner show, which is unbelievable. What exposure. This guy did not want you to leave him. He wants you to stay on TV with him. And you said, no, I've got to leave. And he's the inspiration for this song. You tell him goodbye in a love song. It's fucking brilliant. Well, thank you. Well, there's a lot more to that story. Porter and I were, you know, we were like oil and water. We loved each other. It was like one of those love-hate relationships. But I was stubborn. He was stubborn. But I had come to Nashville, you know, to be a to be my own star. And I did get lucky. And I've all I've always uh, credited Porter for a big part of my success. But it was when I. You know, I really felt like I needed to move on. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life being a girl singer. And we had a, a very intense relationship. And Porter was stubborn. I was stubborn. He wouldn't listen to anything. And I kept trying to go. He kept trying to, you know, make me stay in his own crazy way. And so I thought, you know, I'm going. I'm the going. Show had, and the so show, I wrote the song. The, but the show was immensely popular, right? In other words, very. What were, you, were you like 19 or 20 years old, fresh out of high school when you got that gig? Yeah, actually, I started in 1967. Uh, I got to Nashville in 64. And so I started with Porter, you know, a couple of years later. I had had a couple little uh, chart songs before that. And so Porter had seen me on local TV and all. And he, you know, his girl singer was leaving the show. So I lucked up on that. I feel like that was God's will, too. Right. But I had said that I, I would stay for five years. I wound up staying seven. But getting back to why the song, Porter was just, we were just fighting, like cats and dogs, and just going through all kinds of intense but, stuff. But, but Dolly, you're so easygoing, though. What are you fighting about? With Does, does this Porter Wagner say, listen, Dolly, I gave you a break. You can't leave. Is it that kind of thing? Or I don't want to hear your ideas. Let me bring my ideas to the forefront. Well, it was a lot of that. You know, I kept wanting to go because I wanted to do more things. I wanted to bring in a producer. I would have done a whole lot of stuff with Porter's show, uh, within the show, had he let me. I would have probably stayed a lot longer. But I wanted to bring in, you know, a different, you know, different producer. Porter wanted to do everything. Well, nobody can do everything. And right. so I was just feeling like I was being... Uh, stifled and we were we were popular no doubt about it but i thought well i have i need to go i need to get on out and do my thing because i came to nashville to be my own star not just to be the girl singer in somebody else's show so uh, we would go back and forth with you know through that we'd argue over you know the songs because i felt like i knew what was best to in the production whatever it was like i'm not all that easy going when you push me against the wall i can tell you where to put it if i don't like where you got it so to speak so right. especially when it comes to my work going back to that little girl singing those songs that you talked about i right. knew my destiny i knew that i had to continue doing what i felt led and drawn to do so anyway it was then when I finally just said, I have to go. I'm tired of fighting about it. I've got to do it. And so I thought, well, I can't win the argument. So the thing I can do best is to write. So I went home after I had finally made my decision that I'm going, no matter what, I'm going. And so I wrote the song, I Will Always Love You. And I take it back the next morning. I said, Porter, sit down. I want to, I've got something I need to sing to you. And so I sang the song. And Alone Porter in his was, office. 
in his office, just me and my guitar. And he was just sitting behind his desk and tears started, started rolling down. He said, that's the best song you ever wrote. And you can go if I can produce the song. So <laughs> it's always quid pro quo. It was still, yeah, it was still, you can go, but I still want to be part. But he did. And it was great. And so then getting on to Whitney, it was years later. Uh, so I wrote this song at home at my, you had asked me where I wrote it. It yeah. was at my, at my little house, uh, where I was living at the time before I left the show. And it was strictly a message to Porter saying, listen, you, you, let's not end on a, I love you. I, I don't hate you. I don't want to end on a bad note. It's just, yeah. I love you. And wow, what a novel idea to get out of that whole situation to write the song. And, 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 and you know, the other crazy thing I heard, uh, for putting Whitney Houston aside, Elvis Presley, who, of course, you idolized, I'm sure. Yep. Elvis Presley wanted to record that song, I Will Always Love You. He loved the song. And you told him no. And the reason I bring this up is it's so fascinating to me. This guy, Colonel Tom, who was Elvis's, you know, manager or whatever you want to call him. He ruined so many things for Elvis. You know, Elvis wanted to be in A Star is Born. We had um, a barber talking about this the other day. Colonel Tom asked for just too much crazy money. And with you, Elvis wants to record your song, I Will Always Love You. And Colonel Tom says, uh, Dolly, but you got to give me the publishing. What a balls move. What a crazy move. So you told Colonel Tom no, right? How'd that all go down? Oh, well, I had, I was so excited that Elvis was going to record the song. And Elvis's producer at the time, he had called and asked me to come down to the studio. He said, Elvis wants to meet you and he's going to record. I will always love you. And I was out of my mind with excitement, of course. I mean, just me thinking about Elvis singing my song. And it was the night before, the afternoon, uh, before the, session the next day that colonel tom had called and said you know that we don't record anything with elvis unless we have the publishing or at least half the publishing hey well of course my my heart just went to my to my feet and i said well that's not possible because that is my most important copyright i got my own publishing company and that's you know i said i can't do that he said well at least you got to give us half and i said i can't do that and so I, he said, well, then we can't record it. Of course, I cried all night about that. Yeah. And so it was uh, years later, and on the Rockstar album, I wrote a song called I Dreamed About Elvis, where I actually incorporated that to where I get to sing a little bit of it with Elvis sound alike. But that was a heartbreaker. But I had just started my own publishing company. I just began to start, you know, having bringing my things in to kind of be to own myself so to speak and so i i just couldn't do it and it made me sick all over but it was only after whitney recorded i was so thankful that i had made that choice because i made a lot of money off of whitney's oh yeah i mean can you imagine had you given away the publishing to that and then whitney does it and the thing is huge you i would take it that uh i can't even believe this story i heard about with whitney that you didn't even know her version of it. In other words, she didn't include you in her musical decision. Kevin Costner approached you. We want to use it in the movie. You go, sure, use it in the movie. Go ahead, be my guest. She goes off and records it. Is it true you heard it on the radio for the first time? I did. Of course, I know David Foster uh, had produced it. And I knew that I had just sent the song, and that was all that I had heard. Uh, 
and I didn't know if they had done it or not. And I'm not one to kind of run after people to ask them, well, did you record my song? You know, it's not yeah, the kind yeah. of thing you do. But I was coming home from my office uh, from downtown on Mission Grove to my home in Brentwood, and I was driving at the time. I had my Cadillac. And so all of a sudden I just heard the, you know, if I, she was doing it like a cappella, you know, it was like when she was, and I, it's just like a dog, you know, hearing a, a whistle. I, I was saying, what? You know, it's like it was ringing some sort of a bell, but it didn't, it didn't dawn on me. And then all of a sudden I realized, by the time I realized it, she was ready to go into the course. And then when she started that, I, I almost wrecked. I, honest to God, had to pull over to the side at a Walgreens, uh, you know, there in Brentwood or where the Walgreens is now, and to listen to the rest of it. And it was the most overwhelming sensation because I couldn't believe my little country sad song, you know, could even be done like that. But to hear it like that, and it was just overwhelming. That was one of the greatest uh, experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Do you pick up the phone and call her and say, this is fabulous? Or do you just kind of not? Oh, I did. In, in a, you know, like in a few days after I absorbed it, I called David Foster first because I didn't even know how to get in touch with her. I mean, that was back way back when, yeah, sure. uh, you know, when you didn't know the stars numbers and I didn't nobody <laughs> knew me well enough to know, say, well, you can have Whitney Houston's number. Right. But anyway, I called David and I said, oh, my God, David, this is a greatest thing i've ever heard how come nobody told me why didn't you send me a record he said i just assumed they you know that you knew i said well i didn't and i don't even care i'm just so excited about it but man that song did so good and oh how my God. As a song. i mean that's crazy i mean it, it's crazy but i mean you've written for a lot of you? people well, I have, ahead. but can you imagine? I was going to say, can you, just like what you heard right then, can you yeah. imagine when that came on and me just there in the car? <laughs> and it's like my heart just like, it was like just, uh, I don't know, it was crazy. Thank God you didn't crash the car. Well, I would have if I hadn't pulled over. <laughs> Did you, um, I, I always love you and Jolene, were they... I know you've, you, you, you're not exactly sure of the chronology, but did you write those on the same day? You assume they were written on the same day because you went back and found the cassette and you recorded them on the same day into a cassette. Now, I don't know if it was the same day. See, I have a tendency, like we talked about earlier, when I record, uh, you know, I have my cassette and it's, you know, like time goes by, you're doing other things. I don't know if it was the same day, if I wrote them, but I wrote them both within that same, period of time ever whether that was a week or days or whatever and so they're both on the same album on my uh jolene album i will always love you is on the same album but it was you know i wrote them within you know in that same period of time but i don't remember yeah that's like what willie says like there's there, sometimes it comes out like one right after another yeah and and when it comes to you it's not even that remarkable like not a no, moment you're just you writing you don't know what's going to be a hit. If we all knew what was going to be a hit, we'd all be rich, richer than we are or richer than some people do become because you don't know what's a hit. You just write all these songs and and you just, you know, you they just come out. You just have to do it. And some of them you think, well, I think that's really good or that's I think that's a pretty good song. But you never really know 
which ones are going to be hits. Yeah. I mean, it seems obvious, listening to it right now, that this would be a huge hit. It's, it's one of my favorite songs Jolene, that you do. Jolene, Jolene, you know, I'm begging of you, please don't take my See, you don't want to talk over your own music. I don't know. No, blame. I mean, I can't, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know if you were waiting for something. No, when no. I wrote that, getting back to, like, uh, up to that little guitar lick. Yeah. You know, uh, that was for I have all my nails. Sometimes when I'm... Getting ready for a big deal, like, you know, I, I like to be a girl, too. So, but when I was writing that little lick on Jolene, I like to invent stuff. Of course, the boy that played the guitar lick on that, he took it, you know, even further. But I just yeah. remember writing that little lick thinking, wow, you know, that's a good little, good little lick. And that's, but you know, that song's been recorded more than any song I've ever written in my whole life. It's up to, the last I heard it had been recorded like 450 times worldwide over the last 50 years. Amazing. And I get it. It's it, the song is so meaningful. But you said it wasn't even that heavy a song like your husband walked into a bank and uh, there was a little redhead there and you kind of got this idea, oh, I feel a little jealous cuz she's flirting with him. And, and oh, then he you was met flirting a... with her. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, and then there was some That's eight where year the old. Jealousy came. Yeah, and then and then you just write this song over it. It's just crazy. You know, speaking of the nails and playing your guitar, I remember watching when you were on the Johnny Carson show, and you wrote a song for Johnny. You were appreciative of Johnny, and you wrote that. I thought it was a great song. And you're sitting there with Johnny, and you you whip out your guitar. And you start playing this song about how much you owe the Johnny Carson show because because of the exposure on the show. And I'm watching with the nails and I'm like, how the hell is she? Is she really playing the guitar? Because your oh, nails are so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was crazy. You know, I, well, I've, you learn to play now. I can't play real intricate things with nails this long, uh, but I've learned to play with open tuning, too. And I've learned how to pick and uh. work around that. But at that time, I, I wasn't wearing these big, long acrylic nails. I think I had the lead press on nails yeah. <laughs> and I could still get down in there and do it. But when I wrote that little song for Johnny, I had so, uh, so many comments on that little song. I never did record it. Uh, I don't think as a record. It was I good, though. I, yeah. yeah, John even goes, oh, you should record it. And you go, well, I think I'm going to. But I, as far as I know, you never recorded it. But yeah, I thought I it was a pretty good song. Yeah, I loved I really, it. I loved him. He, I really always had a good time with him. But it was really like after I started doing his show and, you know, things were beginning to happen there. And it, it was basically saying, I never really made it till the Johnny Carson show. And I talked about where from a trailer trash to, you know, from, you know, to a what, to a Cadillac. And it had a lot of, you know, fun little lines in it that were comical, but fun, but kind of told the truth. Just kind of saying about a country girl, you know, now I'm eating uh, caviar instead of potted meat instead of spam, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was <laughs> that, great. It was a great lyric. Yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking like Johnny was great to you. Most people are great to you, but I am obsessed with that Barbara Walters interview you did a hundred years ago with Barbara. And I thought Barbara was downright mean. I did. You know, being on the Barbara Walters interview was like a big deal back in the day. You know, people forget uh -huh. how big a deal it was. TV had tremendous impact. Barbara Walters was a big star. She has you on ostensibly to celebrate your career. And it seemed like she was attacking you like, oh, you dress cheap. 
um, why are you married to your husband if you don't see him that much? You know, it, it seemed like an attack in a way. Did you feel that at all? Were you angry well, about that? No. Well, Barbara was known for that. That's why Barbara was so famous. She would ask those things that uh, nobody else would would have the gall to ask. So she was even sitting in my house, you know, asking that. But I kind of knew when I went into doing a Barbara Walters special what I might be up against. Those kind of things hurt your feelings more than anything, or they kind of embarrass you. But I didn't. I don't. I didn't think she was trying to be mean. Uh, of course, I would have rather not. You know not have had to felt the way that I felt, but I I felt like, well, Barbara Walters don't scare me. I know who I am and I know who she is. <laughs> so, no, I would, uh, I would say people should go watch that on YouTube because I thought the way you handled her is a lesson in how to handle hostility. You know, the world is like full of hostility right now. And you just kind of kept your pride you answered her politely, but I could tell you were being direct. You know, he goes, she goes, uh, should I call you? If I call you a hillbilly, are you insult? You know, like, and you're like, well, if you call me a hillbilly, I'll probably knock you down or something. But you did it with a smile. <laughs> you know, it was. It's, you can only it's, call me a hillbilly if you're a hillbilly. And she's obviously not. But I just remember during that, uh, getting back to a positive note, how something great comes from everything or anything. Uh, I told her on that. I think that's the one where I, that was in 85, I think, and I had told her during that that I was going to start my own theme park. And a year later, you know, we started Dollywood. So that was, you know, I kind of had that premonition or had, certainly had that dream. And so I had mentioned it on, on the Barbara Walters show. And that's before it ever had, had come to be. And then shortly after, we had it so, uh, and everybody kind of talked about that, saying, "Well, you predicted that on, you know, the Barbara Walters show and all that." So that was all fine. You never know when you talk to people. You can't just pick and choose the people that you want to talk to, and you can't expect everything to be perfect. Because if people have an interesting show, they need to get down and dirty and get down to the, you know, to the basics. Otherwise, it's just mediocre, almost like hype. But I like yeah. it. That's what I like about you. You, you know, you will last that you, know, you can, you know, used to be, you know, you could be a little harder than you are these days, but we all age. But still, you were always great about getting to, you know, the bottom of things. You're smart enough to know how to weave it in and out and give the artists a chance to really be all that they are as well. Do you think that um, women were back in the day? I think women are more conscious of the fact that they should support other women. But somehow back in the day, because you were, you know, beautiful and talented and you had everything going your way. You think women could knock you more than men in a sense like that? that maybe Barbara Walters couldn't handle. I mean, she had her own success, but maybe she was jealous. I don't know. And women can be I tough on other women. To everybody, though. She was not just like that with women, I don't think. I mean, she was always asking all those hard questions about anybody but that's that's why she was barbara walters so i mean i i moved on from that obviously <laughs> she didn't hurt you're, me much <laughs> you always seem to me that like, like, you know you're just an upbeat person at least your public persona but i had read that there was like a period of time in the 80s which is shocking to me that you considered suicide that you said you know what <laughs> i've had it i've had it with life which is mind-blowing to me because you seem so focused on life and so alive and you know it just show business is so 
has been so great for you. But it, 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 privately, you were really falling apart. I, I wonder what was going on there. Well, I think there's, I think in everybody's life, there are times when you really, uh, you know, go through things, no matter how good you are. I think I'm a very sensitive, caring person. And people, you know, you, as a writer, you ha- kind of have to leave your feelings wide open. You have to live with your life on your sleeve in order to be sensitive enough to write what you need to. So therefore, people like me, uh, you know, you feel everything to the depth of your being. And during that time, I was at that age where I was beginning to go through uh, the change. I was overweight. I was feeling bad. And I had I had been I was going through, a, a you know, a, a business relationship and I had felt totally, totally betrayed. It was like almost it's one of those perfect storms to where everything I didn't I wasn't going to commit suicide but i pawned you know i thought i know how people go to drugs i know how people go to alcohol and i know how people actually commit suicide because you know there's just so much you think you can handle and all that but uh i think and i i do believe that that was a turning point in my life because i had never stopped i had been going like you said from the time i was little i had never slowed down i'd just been going like balls to the wall you know the whole my whole lifetime and you don't even expect that you're going to be able to ever hit a wall like that to where you're ever even going to need to think like that or be uh, in a position to where you could think like that so in a way it was like a life-changing thing for me it took me i was it was about an 18 month period you know that i was very very down and it took me that long to kind of get myself back you know because i was overweight at the time and like i said it was like one of those things that was a big part of of the depression part of it and so finally one day i thought are you just going to lay around here and waller you know in this just get your fat ass up do something about it move on or just go ahead and do it (laughs) so it was i think that was i think a lot about uh, how god works with me because i'm a very faith-based person and i had never actually been to the bottom in my life i didn't know how i would handle a thing like that i was it was you get very self-pitying you get into where you you know you feel sorry for yourself you think oh why me and all that when everything you think well i've been doing my best all these years but sometimes that's the best thing that can happen to you to hit a wall so hard that it jolts some sense into you but thank god I did overcome that, and thank God I became a better person, took inventory. I felt like I'm able to relate to anybody, everybody, about anything. So I feel like that song of, I think it was Whitney's, you know, I am every, I am every woman, I am every person. You know, I feel like that I can feel for any and everybody going through anything, and I think it made me a much better person. I think you're right about songwriters. I don't think there's a good songwriter who doesn't feel deeply. That's what I most admire about the poetry of songwriting. I'm like, wow. If anything, I've been running from my feelings my entire life. I don't want to feel. And that's why I couldn't be a good songwriter. Uh, You know, songwriters are like open wounds really walking around. It's It's true. 
It's true. You have to be, if you're going to write meaningful songs, you can be a programmed writer. You can read, learn music, and you can be smart, you know, and write those songs that are commercial. But if you're a writer like Willie or like me or some of those people that we write from the gut, we write from the heart, we write from life experiences. And I, I don't regret anything that's ever happened to me because I think it's taken every bit of it to make me who I am, what I am, and how I am. How'd you get out of the depression? Did you go to a therapist? Never went to a therapist, just went to my guitar, started writing songs, and I've always said that my music is always my my best uh, therapy. And I can write about my feelings, I can write things for everybody else, but I, I wrote a lot about how I was feeling about the bad stuff, but then on days I would write happy songs, you know, to kind of get myself, you know, out of it. And I had great friends, and I had God. I still was praying hard, and I still was surrounded with my family and with friends. Not everybody knew what I was going through. Were people scared? Were people really scared for you? Nobody knew that about that. Did you, you know, did you, very few did you stop knew. working? Did you stop working for a while? No, not really. I was just working uh, wounded. You know, but no, I mean, you you don't stop living. You don't stop living just because you got, you know, a broken heart or a broken, you know, spirit. You don't stop living because you still got jobs to do. You can't do, you know, you can't just stop. But yeah, you got to keep going. I just always think about things like how, how parents like my, my dad and my mom having all those kids and going through all the heartache that they had to and all the hard times. And, and my daddy worked whether he was sick or well. And so, uh, you can't stop just cause you, you don't feel good or just because you're having a problem. But there was very few people that knew that I, was in the shape I was in because I'm I can I can disguise a lot of a lot of feelings but the really people weird. that knew, knew me best knew that I was just that I was going through well you know it's a hard thing you know that depression a lot of that comes with women when you're going actually through you know hormonal. The, the change everything's hormonal and then if there are other things piled on top of that that's hard enough you know you just kind of go through that but I bet you Nearly everybody has been in, in the dumps like that. I mean, I've had other times, you know, when I didn't feel good. I mean, we, we go through that, but that's life's dynamics. You, I mean, if you were just vanilla all the time, you'd be oh. boring. And I, I always said I'd rather be Rocky Road than vanilla. <laughs> but those so times I'll are take really... Whatever. Those times, Dolly, are so hard to get through. They really are. Sometimes you just think, oh, my God, I just can't stand it anymore. So this was also not only hormonal and, and menopause, but also the weight gain and also some management. Had, well, a manager well, it, was had- just a per- it was just personal. It was just personal relationships, you know, that I had had that I felt very betrayed uh, and felt very you know, just did not feel good about, and I don't want to go into all that, but we all go through that too, where you feel like you've given everything and then it's taken for granted. And I'm sure you've gone through things when you were sick. I'm sure you, you know, you thought, wow, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to, you know, live beyond this? Or can I, will I? And so, you know, those things don't make you better people after you do get through it. That, just like that old saying, that which does not kill us makes us stronger and makes us better writers. 
<laughs> when you, um, you, you know, I am so kind of blown away by your career. It's not only the music, it's like the film industry. Uh, you know, I think like nine to five. It's so mind blowing to me that, you know, what did you know about movies, really? I mean, you're a girl who grew up, you know, in Tennessee somewhere. And all of a sudden, nine to five, you're writing the music for it. You're in a movie with Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. <laughs> what? Are, what? Are, it, I mean, it's remarkable, isn't it? It, it? it has to. And then it was a success. Yeah, it you know? was. I actually, that was the first. I never even seen a movie made till then. And I'm sure you know the story of how I memorized the whole script like it was a play. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I was, it, help, it helped me, though, because I was way ahead of the game. Uh, but I just, I thought, well, that, that was the only, I had been offered movies uh, before that but i didn't want to do it and then when jane came to me with that idea i thought well jane Fonda's a really big star and so was lily i thought well if it's a hit then i can just you know bask in the glory with them and if it's a failure i can just blame it on them nobody knows me that well <laughs> but, were you nervous uh, though for your career in other words did you hold off doing movies because you said look i've got a great singing career i've, I've got lots of goodwill out there if i'm in some crap movie I'll be a laughing stock. So there's some fear in it, right? The holding you back? No, it wasn't even that. I just wasn't interested at that time because nothing good enough had come along to, to make me think that I would be willing to give up my music and my touring and all that. But I right. didn't realize at the time, but that was part of my deal with, you know, with Jane that I would write the theme song and I did, you know, and I, you know, I stood behind the, the scenes every day, but they were very supportive. Let me say that Dabney Coleman, Jane and Lily, especially Jane and, and Dabney, who are very skilled actors, they knew I didn't know, you know, what I was doing, but uh, Jane just said, you just be yourself. And then, you know, all you really got to know is, you know, where your marks are, hit your lights, hit your marks and all that. So, uh, it wasn't hard to be myself. And I thought that little character was so, so me that I didn't have to act really. I just, I just performed, you know, just that, just being that. And so I felt like if that that was another one of those things that was meant to be. That was yeah. the thing that I was ready for, and I got to write the theme theme song for it, and and become famous for for that, as well as the movie being such a big hit. And I'm that thing just lives on and on. I eventually I'm later a... went on and wrote a musical, the Broadway yeah. musical, the music for that. So it just lives on, and there's still you know the play is still in uh, in Europe. You know. Oh yeah, places. I mean, it, yeah. That was some theme song. Working when you listen back to this now when you listen back to that are you happy with the recordings do you ever listen to your old music and go you know what i could have done a better job on that oh yeah i do that all the time i i, I hardly ever listen to any music of mine after I'm, i've listened to critique it to make sure that the mix is good and all i never go back and listen but you'll hear a thing like that and of course i'm always thinking i could have done it better but you know you know that i wrote that song you know with my nails you know like yeah, yeah. Well, i was going to ask you about that yeah how do you do but that but i did it so, like a typewriter you know, were you sitting in your, I don't know, where, where were you sitting in your, in waiting around on a movie set? Yeah, I was just waiting around. I would be sitting or standing. Mostly I'd just be watching like the other, what, the action, because I was so, uh, 
starstruck being you know just watching how a movie is made even if i wasn't in the scene i was there every day because i wanted to watch it so i would just be watching what the other girls were doing what the scenes were and i would just be thinking you know like working nine to five and i would watch whatever was going on and i would just be like you know because i couldn't get a guitar out on the set so i would just kind of you got to have acrylic nails to make that real percussive sound but i would just i thought it sounded like a typewriter can you hear that yeah. Working nine to five, what a way to make a living, barely. Then I would write uh, verses, I'd write things, and then I'd go back to my hotel at night and get my guitar out, and then I'd put it down on, on tape. And I wrote it over a period of, of, of weeks, you know, the whole song, before I actually sat down and then just assembled it and put it all together. But I thought that sounded like a typewriter, and I actually played my nails on the you know, on the, on the thing, I was working with a guy named uh, Greg Perry who produced uh, the uh, the nine to five song, and he's now uh, going to be arranging a lot of the music for my Broadway musical that I'm going to be doing uh, next year. So I thought life just kind of goes around it. Forty years since you know since that happened, uh, and now he's you know I'm going to actually be working with him again. But he's he's the one that got that typewriter out and thought, well, your nails sound like a typewriter. So let's just use a typewriter to actually start the, you know, the, the actual song. And so he said, when we got ready to record it, he said, let's just put you on it, nails by Dolly for fun. So it was great. Well, it's unbelievable because what you're saying is great songwriters could write a song on their nails. Dave Grohl told me from the Foo Fighters, there are times when he's sitting around, he clicks his teeth together like this. And he does that, and he and he can drum with his teeth. Oh, that's insane! So that's why he has those nubs. That's right. <laughs> I mean, he, but that's amazing to me that you wrote that no, on the nails. Is. But you know, I used to as a kid. But uh, I think true writers do that. When I was a little kid, I remember being out in the fields, and if I would hear like Katie did, or if I'd hear like uh, sounds, you know, of like uh, that were sounding like uh, percussive things or like different sounds i would just start doing a, a, a rhythm i'd just start going and then I, and there was almost like a melody to it and i would write a lot of, or if i'd hear like a bird doing a certain melody then i'd take that and expand on that and i think i think true writers really uh true musical people you just make the most of everything but everything's a song to me everything's a song were you, uh, I assume, maybe I'm wrong, but you grew up in extreme poverty, right? I mean, there was not a lot of uh, frivolous, kind of, I'm sure there was no record collection around. And <laughs> I mean, not it was hardly. like, not hardly, right? Because, I mean, your parents didn't, I mean, geez, they had no money, right? No, well, that's true. Well, but everybody around us was poor. We were just mountain people. Everybody, we didn't know we was poor till some smart aleck up and told us. You know, we just <laughs> lived like everybody else. You know, around, around there. But no, would we you didn't hunt, have, would you hunt for would you hunt for food? I mean, absolutely. Would you, my no dad, and my brothers. No, in my early early days, we didn't have electricity. We didn't have running water unless we'd run and get it. But in my early early days, we didn't have radios. We didn't have television. Uh, you know, there's a great old song, which I love because we watched the radio. You know, we had a battery radio. And, of course, that was just a few of my early, early years until we moved out and we had electricity. But in those early days, I mean, it was you you lived uh, 
amongst the birds and the bees, and you were just part of of that whole thing. But everybody that, lived like that in the mountains. Maybe that's why you're such an original, that you weren't sort of ripping off anyone because you didn't have that much exposure. I mean, the, the, I mean I've mean, i read about some of your influences. I mean, when you would turn on the radio as a kid, you'd hear, you know... bring back any memories oh of course <laughs> that was the music that we loved and when we did uh you know move out where we had like good radio uh we'd always listen even when we had our battery radio when daddy you know when we were living way back you'd go run out and pour water on the ground wire because the old battery radio whistled in and out but you could get the grand old opry you know kind of whistle in and out but that was the music roy acuff and of course the you know of course i loved the maddox brothers and rose and and i loved mother maybell you know carter and all of those kitty wells those those are the people that we that I grew up on, but uh, you know my my people were so musical, so that was just so much. I was influenced so as much by my own relatives as I was the people that I'd hear on the radio. I mean, this one, right? Patsy Cline, big oh. influence. That 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 was something, right? Oh, this is crazy. A, yeah. You know Willie wrote that. I do know that. Crazy. What a song, huh? I know. And what a voice. What a voice. I know. She's like Willie. You know, they're just stylists. Ah, it's unbelievable. But you you had a style. Uh, I was listening to you uh, when you were doing, like you were 13, I think, when Puppy Love came out. And puppy I'm 12, love. I think 12 when I recorded, 11 or 12, didn't come out till I was like 13. I mean, you, you had something going on at 11 and 12. This is puppy love. This is you and at 12. And you wrote it with your uncle, yeah, my right? Uncle and I. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. What do you think of that? When you listen back to that. I think it's funny. I think it's cute. And I remember hearing it, you know, first time on the radio. Does it feel like it's almost like, do you, I don't know about you as we get older, do you feel the passage of time or is it almost like you could turn your brain on and just remember sitting there and recording that at 12 years old? Or does it seem like ages ago? I remember exactly because I fell in love with a little boy there in the studio, uh, Ed Schuler that owned the gold band records. He had the most beautiful little Cajun boy, uh, that I'd ever seen. All the boys back home were, you know, redneck with the bad haircuts and all that. But I'd never <laughs> seen a boy so pretty in my life. He was my age. He was like 12, 13. And oh, that was my first big love of, you know, love of my life there. Oh, I grieved over him all the way back home from recording that record and thought about him always and talked to, talked about him through the years. And he, he wrote me a letter one day, said, you know, you're embarrassing me. I said, I wrote back and said, too bad. <laughs> how do you how do you get to record at 12 years old i mean you're a girl from tennessee impoverished uh how's your uncle finagle that whole uh situation well, where you're 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 recording that well i told you that all my 
my mother's people are musical. And I had my Uncle Henry was in the Air Force, and he was stationed down in uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana. And, of course, there was a studio across the street. Anytime that there was music anywhere, my Uncle Bill had gone down flopping on him, you know, kind of just to, you know, to hang around to kind of be there with the music and was recording, playing guitar on some of the sessions. So then they got the big idea to bring me down. And hmm. so, uh, I had never been anywhere and my grandma was the only person that could go with me. And it, my dad was not happy about me even going, but they wanted to see grandma. That was their mom. She hadn't seen Henry in a long time. So she was old. She dipped snuff and she, she was a real nervous kind of person. So she had her little snuff jar with the lid. I never on got it. snuff. What do you get out of snuff? It's not like Coke. It's like, it's like, what no, is but it? It's, it's nicotine. It is. It's, oh, I it's didn't know that. It's powdered nicotine that goes straight into your bloodstream. <laughs> Same as what you get out of out of you know smoking. Only it's con- it's it's concentrated like cocaine. Some people even sniff <laughs> snuff like they do cocaine. But Mama wow. just Grandma always just had a big you know knot here in her lip. But she was always she had it all the time too. So she was spitting this jar, and so we were riding. We we they got us a ticket on the bus. We got on the bus. And my grandma was real nervous and getting older at that time. So we uh, headed out and we just packed a little bit of food, you know, to go with us. We got lost somewhere uh, on the way and grandma got so nervous. I'd never been anywhere. So we got, we missed our bus. So I had to go up to the counter to tell, ask the guy, so, well, we've missed our bus and I don't know. We're supposed to be going to Lake Charles, Louisiana. My grandma's nervous and she don't, we don't know what to do. So he helped us get back on the right bus. It wasn't the next morning. So we slept on the bench there in a, in a, in a bus stop Jeez. and so this people saw we had no food and this couple the, uh, this couple brought they were actually getting on another bus and they had a few little snacks of their own and they brought us and they just dropped it you know just laid it on the the bench there so, so that nice. was great so so we got yeah it was thoughtful i think about all that you talk about do i remember yeah i remember every little thing about every little thing and so i remember that whole trip and then we went down there and did the song and met the little uh, Johnny Schuler, my boyfriend, in my mind right. for a long time. And but uh, it was my first chance at, at a at a record, and they only played it on the local station back home in Sevierville. And I remember I was sitting up on the counter at my aunt's house, and she was scrubbing the floor, and the radio was on, and I, and I heard Puppy Love coming on. Oh so I jumped God. off off the counter to run from the radio, and I slid in the soap suds and about killed myself trying to get to the radio before it went off. It was that was another major sensation, like the "I Will Always Love You," uh, to hear myself on the radio for the first time. Dolly, that's I mean, we cannot emphasize enough. At twelve years old, I I don't even think I was conscious. I mean, at twelve <laughs> years old, I can't imagine this this poor girl from Tennessee hearing this puppy love on the radio it's crazy well i thought it was going to be a big hit but it was only a hit with my family and on wscv radio in severeville tennessee were were you like the town like phenom were you like like everyone knew dolly and because you were on the radio i mean all the other kids like like yeah well there was there was no they didn't worship me there was some envy and jealousy in the schools not my earlier we were talking about that but not so much in my family Uh, Mm. but there was always that you know that thing oh you can't sing 
sing, you sing through your nose, you do this, you do that. You always hear all of, all of those things. But it was my journey, and that was some of those steps that I was taking to get to be on the Howard Stern Show this morning. Yeah, that's, it all led to this. But I mean, the cry, <laughs> the, 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 did you cry at night? Would you be like, oh, God, these kids are goofing on me? I mean, well, you know, like, it's uh, like. They, I did. Now, you know, it, it hurt my, my feelings. Whoops. Am I sh- Someone's someone's uh, fixing you. Wow. Well, I think I'm I need... having a. I think I was having a, a wardrobe malfunction. No, so, I couldn't see your boobs. I mean, uh, well, the, the I guy don't can... think you saw anything other than it just was gapping. They told yeah, us before we started that if I needed to get a drink or something, or if I needed to go to the bathroom, that was okay. You'd excuse me, but sure. I didn't know I was going to get undressed. Anyway, <laughs> I think I'm back in order. Speaking of which, um, you know, in terms of I'm, I'm envisioning you as like a, a 19 year old girl, a girl going to Nashville. And let's face it, you were extremely attractive, uh, a very good looking woman. Were men uh, were men constantly hitting on you? So, th- like they probably looked at you like, oh, look at this rube, this 19 year old <laughs> girl from Tennessee. Did they try to take advantage of you not only in business, but sexually as well? Uh, well, I was 18 when I moved to Nashville. I met my husband the first day I got there. So I kind of, I had left two boyfriends back home thinking the last thing I want in Nashville is a boyfriend. So what's the first right. thing I do? Find one. But, um, of course, two years went by before I ever married my husband there in, in, in Nashville. But I never thought of it. Men flirted with me, but I was a flirt myself. And I, uh, I never took it wrong because I, you got to remember, I had six brothers. And my dad and my uncles, and I love men, and I understood them. So I never got myself in a lot of the same spots that a lot of women did, because if I saw that it was getting out of hand, you know, I would make some sort of joke and all that. There's only been like a couple of uncomfortable moments, but I think anybody would would have those. It's just somebody not maybe taking you as serious as you are until you really make them know, hey, I'm serious here. Knock it off. You know, so I didn't have uh, the same problems. I was sure who I was and I was I've often said even before Steve Harvey said it I'd said in interviews that I look like a woman but I think like a man because I take my business serious meaning that I think I can stand my own ground and I um like I said I had all that male influence in my life so and there so were guys I, there were guys like who in business who would say hey you know this is before you Dolly Parton the superstar like hey you know when you're in Nashville you want to uh, record for me, honey? Uh, listen, you know, quid pro quo again. We, you know, we want, you know, you know, come on, come out to dinner with me and let's have a couple of drinks and all this kind of thing. That that wasn't your experience. No, uh, but there was always. Uh, let me just say this: I I never slept with anybody to get ahead, to get right. you know, to from point a to point b if i slept with somebody it's because i wanted to not because i was doing it for any reason other than just something you know that i wanted to do but of course you get all that but like i say i was pretty sharp too i was pretty clever and knowing the nature of men and understanding that if i was going to dress like i dressed and look like i looked i would have been disappointed if somebody hadn't noticed me or (laughs) you know paid attention to me so i also took my my part of the responsibility of any of that but i i never i never had a lot of the same 
bad experiences that I know that a lot of women did. And I'm not defending myself nor the men that have hit on, you know, these women. I just uh, never had a, you know, a lot of bad experiences with that. Because I'm serious about, about my work. I would also just say, I, you know, I go into a meeting or whatever. I just say, well, I think I have a lot to offer. Uh, you know, I mean, there are people that, you know, that would try. But right. like I said, I never I never did anything that wasn't my choice. Not somebody talking me into something to offer me, uh, you know, big rewards if I did this or that. Because I, I figured that would not serve me well anyhow. That would just I mean, come back to haunt me. Also, the whole dolly look, the whole persona, you know, men are like it's it's super hot and men can get like crazed and think, oh, she wants me. Plus, you're super friendly and it's like you're a nice person and you smile and they think, oh, she's in love with me. You know, it can be misconstrued by dudes because dudes are always looking for somebody. And and even this iconic look of yours, I find fascinating. You saw the town whatever they called her back then the town tramp, tramp. or something the tramp <laughs> and you said to yourself wow that's an outrageous look i'm going to dress like that and your grandpa did he hit you or something because of the way you were dressing <laughs> what did he well, do my, well my grandpa was just always preaching to me you know looking like he would just call me jezebel and uh which i <laughs> love my grandpa he was great but he would always say don't you want to go to heaven and my famous line is that I would say, I would get smacked around just for sassing. You know, I'd say something like, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but do I have to look like hell when I get there? Or <laughs> yeah, there's a song. There? And then you've got to get your, you know, like backhanded or something. But uh, I, that's natural, though, I think, for kids, because I was pretty outgoing. Uh, and I just knew how I was going to look. Daddy, Daddy couldn't whip it out of me mama couldn't talk it out of me and grandpa couldn't preach it out of me i was gonna look the way i looked and i still do because that's how i felt comfortable in my own self and in my own skin and in my own clothes the way i wanted to dress because it is true that the first person i ever saw that intrigued me that seemed to fit my personality was the town trollop or whatever she was the loose woman because she had the big yellow hair the red lipstick the eye the makeup fingernails high heels and what little country kid wouldn't want to look like that you know right. it's like there's a you know when i'd say they'd say she ain't nothing but trash and i would just say well that's what i'm gonna be when i wow. grow up Right. That's such that's such an unusual way of thinking. Can I ask you this? How old were you when Dumb Blonde came out? Which I think is a great song because Dumb Blonde was you were a kid when you wrote this one, I think, too. I don't know how old, but how old were you? I was actually uh, 19 when I recorded that, but I did not write that song. That you was didn't write Dumb Blonde? I did not. It was written by Curly Putman. It was at Fred Foster at Monument Records, who I was working with at the time. He had him write a song for me. And that oh. was it. Everybody thinks I wrote it. I wish I had. But yeah. it does say everything that I feel. Just because I'm blonde, don't think I'm dumb. <laughs> yeah. Just because I'm blonde, don't think I'm dumb. It's such a great song. It's like, okay, give me a break. Yeah. Don't yeah. try to cry. And this one went right to number one, right? Well, actually, this was my first top ten record. It never wow. went to one, I don't think. It was in the top ten. and But that was my first chart record. Can and you so imagine? I, I mean, you must have been on cloud nine. Now you've been on the radio for Puppy Love. You put out Dumb Blonde. 
and now you're in the top 40. You know, that's pretty that's pretty incredible. Well, it is, that. but that's a that's a journey that you go uh, through when you go. But then Dumblon was kind of like the start of of my bigger career, and that was shortly after that I had had a couple of top ten, and Porter Wagoner had seen me on some right. local TV and had heard those records and saw it on the charts, and that's what prompted him to uh, to call you know to call me. Well, you had Joshua, Joshua, yeah. you wrote. Yeah, that was no, yes, that I one wrote was a big, big part of my stuff. Yeah, this is a this <laughs> oh, was a was number, number one. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was number one. You like this recording? That's a pretty yeah, good number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember all these. As a songwriter, you you get excited to hear anything you've written come to life like that. Well, a good yeah, way like down the railroad track. There was this little Did you write it quick? Because I kind of based it on a couple of old hermit guys that lived back home. I wrote a couple of songs based on a couple of guys that lived alone, but I just kind of made this one romantic. It's almost like you're a filmmaker. You you kind of think of somebody's big story and then you write a song about it as opposed to writing a movie about them. You do the research and then you write about these dudes. Well, they just it's just naturally in there. You don't know you're going to do it. But as a songwriter, and uh, I just am such a home based person i you know my childhood and and the people that i write about whether it's for movies or songs they're just always in my head and then one day i'll just be you know thinking well i'm just going to change the names to protect the innocent or the guilty so, so to speak yeah. but then i start writing songs about a lot of these people and uh which i love that's what when i wrote one of my first songs one of my first albums was called my tennessee mountain home and it really just talks about my childhood, how it's like sitting on a front porch, you know, with a, in a straight back chair on two legs, leaned against the wall. Very descriptive, just like yeah. typical days, watch kids play with the June bugs on a string. And, you know, I remember my life. I remember um uh, who I was, who we were, and I never tried to run away, you know, from the mountains. I loved my family. No. I loved the mountains. You know, some kids would have been ashamed of the coat of many colors. Your mom used to take, you know, quilt and make you a coat because you were poor. And you look back on that and created this song that really has turned into kind of an anti-bullying story, you know, song because I'm poor, you can goof on me, but I love my coat of many colors. It was, <laughs> well, it's you true. Just, it says you don't have to, you want to listen back to the seasons yeah, a little bit. of my youth. I recall of rags that someone gave us and how my mama put the rags to use there were rags of many colors but every piece was small and i didn't have did a you coat. play this for your mother oh yeah when this song <laughs> there's funny uh i was just right one day i wrote this song uh, I didn't know how injured I had been, you know, with, with that song, uh, or with that story about the coat until, uh, that, it just started coming to me. I was working with the Porter Wagner show and Porter, we were going on tour and Porter got on the bus and he, uh, there was a cleaning tag on his outfit that he had just picked up with the cleaners and I jerked that tag off there because this song was coming to me and I started writing it down on this cleaning tag and, uh, so the whole song, uh, and that song became a hit and I always make a joke, but it's true. I didn't realize how, you know, how 
hurt I was about that story uh, until, you know, I wrote that song and that hurt just left me. And I always say it's amazing how healing money can be. But right. I made, you know, make a joke about it. But it was after I shared that with other people and I heard so many people say that song had been so healing for them because whether it's whether you're handicapped or overweight or, or whatever, so many people have been made fun of for one reason or another. But yes, getting back to mama, when that song became a hit, I wanted to take, I took the money, uh, I told mama, I said, well, I'm going to take you shopping when I got my first royalty check. I said, I'm going to buy you a new make coat, you know, because of that little coat you made for me. And Mom said, what in the world am I going to, where am I going to wear a mink coat around here (laughs) to a dog fight? (laughs) So she said, just give me the money. So I did because she still had kids at home at that time. That's so So funny. But she loved the song. It kind of made her her famous, too. That little song is really, like some of the others, has really had many lives. When I was a little boy, I'd say to my mother, one day I'm going to grow up and make a million dollars. I'm going to buy you a mink coat. And she would say the same thing. She goes, what am I going to do with that? Mink coat around here? I can't wear this. (laughs) (laughs) This is not going to do any good. So, I mean, the journey, I know I have limited time and I want to get to the new album. So... With your career, I mean, it doesn't seem to me like you worry about switching up genres or whatever anybody else thinks. Like, you're not sitting there doing a focus group and saying, hey, uh, if Dolly Parton makes a rock and roll record, will my fans, uh, you know, b- buy it or this and that? You just had the calling. You love rock music. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame happened, which I thought was the coolest thing when you said, you know, basically, hey, guys, I'm a country artist. Don't give me the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame honor. But I could make the argument. I would have made the argument to you. You're as rock and roll as anybody. These songs that you wrote, you know, they could have been rock songs in a way. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, <laughs> it's true. But anyway, you got the inspiration to make a rock album. And did everyone say to you, don't do it, Dolly, like uh, stay in your lane? Or no. they don't talk to you like that? No, not anymore. At my age, I don't really, you know, have to think too much about what I can and can't do. In the early days, you were more like when I left the Port Wagner show, people was telling me I was making a big mistake because I was leaving country. And I said, Lord, how can I leave country? I'll take that with me wherever I go. So uh, I was afraid. And then my first hit after I left Porter was Here You Come Again. And then the fans followed me with that. And then on the way through with movies, they followed me. But I think now I have such a fan base that I've built through the years with the movies and all the different things that I've done that I think they're just more curious about what I'm going to do next. So I, when I decided to do, I thought, well, I got to earn my keep. If I'm going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I got to have a rock album. I used to think years ago that I might record a rock album and then the years went by and I thought nobody would take me serious now. But I'm not one for missing out on time. And so I thought, wow, if I'm ever going to do it, why not do it? So uh, that's what prompted it. And I'm, I'm really, I think it's some of the best work I've done. And hopefully my fans will accept it. What is it like when you call up? I mean, this is a laundry list of rock and roll people. It's certainly impressive, but when you call up people, like, do you call them, per- do you call uh, Sting personally, Ann Wilson, <laughs> John Fogarty, Kid Rock, Steven Tyler, Stevie Nicks, Peter Frampton, Pink, Miley Cyrus, Brandy Carlisle, do you pick up the phone and call these people or, or, uh, is it left up to someone else? I called Molly because <laughs> I talked to her all the time, but actually I didn't want to 
put all these people on the spot. I didn't know that I was actually going to use other people. I, I was recording this album in secret, just demoing songs to see if I could even cut it, you know, to see if I, yeah. if I would be good enough. And so I was just doing them on a demo scale. And then I had recorded the songs and then I, then I got the big idea. Why not call some of these great artists? That singing these great iconic songs, some of them they wrote and so many of them still around. And so I thought, well, I don't want to put anybody on spot to have to say no. And if, if they wanted to, I didn't want that because I don't, I'll do anything you ask me to do, but I, it's hard. I'm like my daddy. I don't like to ask people to do things. So I, don't blame I, you. Th I thought, well, I'll write them a love letter. So then I did, I wrote them all a note and told them, you know, what I'd done and that I was a fan and all that. I said, I just want to ask you if you would be willing to sing with me on something. Don't feel bad if you can't. I get it because I'm an artist myself. I said, but if you do, uh, if you would like to sing with me on something, I'll send you, uh, the CD and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. And you can either call me personally or go through my management. So a lot of them call me personally. And so I talked to them and everybody that I asked did it, was willing to do it and seemed happy to do it. Was a few I missed because of our timing and scheduling, but that was the only reason. So let's take something, for example, like Let It Be. I mean, you know, it doesn't get any bigger than this. Paul McCartney and you contacted Ringo and said, let's do something together. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she's Did you How's it go with Paul? Like, he's probably got layers of management, and you're probably, as big as you are and as much as you've accomplished, there's still got to be some sort of, oh, my God, it's Paul McCartney, right? I mean, you, you got to be in awe. Yeah, here, I was feeling yeah. like that. But I had met Paul uh, on different occasions, uh, and we'd kind of had some words working, you know, different places where we'd run across each other. But he's the one I called first, because when I recorded the song, I called, or I sent word, sent the same love letter and asked him if he would be willing to sing on it and he sent back called back and said i'll i'll be happy to play on it too if you want me to and i thought ah, well i want wow. you to so he did and we he did his part and then i thought wow what about ringo because that's the last of the beatles and of course ringo and i also have met a few times he's so so special and sweet so he was happy to do it then we had uh, Mick Fleetwood play some percussion on it. We had Peter Frampton that played some guitar on it. So Frampton's on this track? Yes, he is. He's wow. playing guitar. He played that great turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so he played so these, a few things. These dudes aren't in the studio with you. They each no, do their own all part. No, they're Yeah, Paul did his at his place. Ringo did his at his place. And I think that Mick and uh, Peter were in the studio with Ringo. I believe that's how that happened. They were all working on things together in the studio. Isn't and that crazy? They, yeah, I know. Well, did the, I just... Did the, uh, Dolly, did the Beatles have an impact on you musically? Or were yes. you so... They did? I loved I mean, them. The first first time I heard I Want to Hold Your Hand, I was still in high school. You know, and I I mean, I, I never heard a sound like that. And I thought, oh, my God. You know, I love that sound. And I followed them. I mean, I loved them. I mean, I was so busy, right? And I was never just 
a fan that could follow, you know, other people around. But I yeah. always, I always loved their sound. Loved their sound. Would you ever, from time to time, almost like research, go and see a band like the Beatles or, you know, get tickets to a show? Or, or you just kind of observe from afar? Well, I would watch them on TV if they came on TV, like the first time we saw Elvis. We, we sneaked out to go to somebody else's house because Elvis was on the, on the Ed Sullivan show. I guess I was about 10. So yeah. I would mostly, we would just get to see things like that. But no, I've, I never got to go to shows and things like that, to concerts. See, I always assume, like, I put people in boxes, like, I'm like, oh, Dolly Parton wasn't influenced by the Beatles because Dolly was a country artist. But no, it all kind of meshes together, right? Well, yeah, because this is like I wrote in that little song uh, for, that I did for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when I said I got to write a song just for that because it starts out, I grew up loving Elvis, you know, and Wild Man Jerry Lee, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, they all cast a spell on me. And uh, Carl Perkins and them blue suede shoes had no place on the farm, you know, but they, you know, it was better than them brogans I was wearing around the barn. You know, so it was like I've been rocking, rocking, rocking since the day I was born, and I'll be rocking till the day I'm gone. Well, this track, it's a famous song, Magic Man. Um, Ann Wilson. Your fantasy, what, like, that's someone else that you were a fan of, right? Heart. Oh, I love them, and I did get to sing with her in the studio, and that was great. Is there any intimidation factor in any of this? Like, are there people that you're intimidated by to go into a studio with and sing? Or is it just, you, you know your no. craft so well. No. Well, I didn't, I wasn't intimidated. I was excited. I knew I had to keep up. I thought Dolly's, you know, I should have called the album Dolly Sings Her Guts Out. Because I really <laughs> had, to, I really had to, you know, keep up. Because, I mean, Ann Wilson, my God, she still sings great. And I thought, you know, she's going to go there. Well, I'm going to go there. I'm going to see if I can, you know, keep up with her at least. I, I didn't think I could out-sing her, but I thought at least I have to give her a, a run for her money and a run do for you, mine. <laughs> do you sing all... What is your day like? Do you sing all day? Do you uh, walk around the house? I mean, I don't know how much time you're on the road. I don't know how you break it all down, but are you... I, you get up early, you write, you'll, you'll, you'll stick to that sort of routine, but are you constantly walking around singing? I think I do. Everybody says you just sing all the time. But when you're a singer, you don't really r realize you're doing that. But uh, that's just kind of passing time. That's just something you just do. And it's not always my songs. It's a lot of you kind, these kind of songs that you remember, songs that really have a, a haunting kind of melody. And you just kind of find yourself doing that. But I don't just uh, I'm not performing all the time, but I just naturally have a song in my heart. Throughout your life, did you get neurotic at all about your voice? Like, oh, my God, as I get older, I don't want my voice. I got to have my voice. This is my life. I, I you know, th this is my career. Were you superstitious about your voice at all? No, uh, I wasn't because I always figured and I've often said people have asked me if I had to give up everything in my career but one thing what would you do and i instantly say i'd be a songwriter i would write right. songs even if i couldn't sing so i was never i never n knew if i was a great singer or not i was just a singer 
I like to sing. I'm like William Patsy Klein. I'm a stylist, so you either like our voices or you don't. When you're true, when your voice is so different, you know, you either you like it or you don't. So I just always, I never thought that much about whether or not I was a great singer. I just liked to sing. And so, um, but I could give that up. If I had to, but I wouldn't want to. Of course, I love doing all of it. I love to write songs and I love to sing them. Then I like to go perform. Dolly, earlier you said when you wrote Sacrifice, you had sacrificed things in life for your career. Are you referring to kids and a family? Because Yeah, all of that. Yeah. It says, you know, 24-7, 365. You know, I gave up time with family and friends, you know, gave up, uh, you know, all the Attempt for work without end, 24 7, 365. I was willing to make the sacrifice. So you give up. Uh, you know, I've been married for, well, my husband and I have been together 60 years this spring. We've been married 58 this year. But, uh, but my husband was a homebody. He liked it. He's a loner. So me coming and going, that was actually just a way of life with us. It never got in the way. He was never, you never felt guilty. He never and I never felt guilty about anything we just enjoyed each other the way that that we are we still do so um but no that was just a way of life with us he knew i came to nashville to be a singer when i met him i had just got off the bus and was in the laundromat at the wishy-washy laundromat <laughs> and make a joke think- about it but Dolly, don't you think like it would have been selfish of you because you're so career driven, you were so focused. This is your dream. This is what you wanted. It would have been selfish of you to have kids, you know, and maybe part of it, too, was being from a family of 12 children. Maybe you were like, I've seen enough of that. In fact, I had to raise some of my siblings kind of <laughs> with them. Um, you know, it probably turns you off in a way to the well, idea. Well, actually, uh, five of my younger brothers and sisters came to live with my husband and I uh, as time went by. Uh, but I, you're right. I would have been uh, I was so devoted. It wasn't meant for me to have kids. And then when I started the Imagination Library, my line is that I didn't have kids. So everybody's kids could be mine. And they really are because I'm always there for my my nieces, my nephews, my grandnieces and nephews, I'm there. I'm a great aunt. And so the kids love me because I'm fun. I'm like Mother Goose or, uh, you know, Cinderella. You know, I'm kind of like a cartoon character, but I'm very, uh, I'm very into the kids. But I never regretted having kids. My husband doesn't either. Now that we're older, we're almost glad that we didn't because now that we're older and sicklier or whatever may come along, you think, wow, it's probably just as well because, you know, here we are. We need to be taking care of each other now. Is that what you're saying on World on Fire uh, in this song? This is one of your originals. In other words, maybe it even ties in with the world situation not having kids. When you see how fucked up things are in the world right now, and they are, and I don't know how political you get, but this song feels political to me. Well, it was more to throw light uh, on a bad situation and try to make people think, because I hate politics and I'll never be political, but we need to pay attention. Pay attention specifically to what, Dolly? In other words, uh, look... I'll get into it. You know, I think our country's on the verge of collapse. I, I think people have gone insane. Uh, I think the world is on the on the verge of collapse. I mean, I mean, it's like I could have said that in that one verse 
uh, you know, where it says politicians, present and past. I could might as well have said leaders of the world, present and past. You better make a change and you better make it fast because it's like uh, it's just not a good situation right now. And it's almost like we don't seem to to care enough to try to do anything about it. But it's even but even when you sing someone better do something fast, some of these people take that to mean I'll be an authoritarian and take over and and, and turn a democracy into a uh, into a a dictatorship. Well, I think beyond even all that and the individual people, I just think that it's like that all over the world. And it's like we only have one world and I'm more concerned about, you know, uh, humanity and civilization more than all the petty things that are that are going on now. But it's like I don't I don't get it. I just don't get why we don't try a little harder. So that's what new, inspired this song. Yeah, the world on fire is on here. And also, I should mention, you do Wrecking Ball with your uh, goddaughter, Miley Cyrus. I, I've never had a goddaughter, but if I, if I had a goddaughter like Miley Cyrus, that'd be very cool. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know. I, it I is want, very cool. I love, I love Miley. She's, a, she's my little sweetheart. I've known her since before she was born, actually. Was she smart enough to take advantage of the fact that you're her godmother? And would she come to you for career advice? Well, she's asked me a lot of things, and she mostly just runs things by me. And we talk. I mean, she's very successful. Molly's very smart. She's very, uh, she's very intuitive about the business. And I, I just think Molly's a, a spectacular human being and a, an amazing talent. So, how did you I end up being her? But, I, but when you're the goddaughter, were you that close with Billy Ray and and, the, and yes. Uh, that's how it happened. I, when Billy had um, the big song, uh, Achy Breaky Heart, well, we right. toured together. I was on tour, and then Billy uh, toured with me. And so uh, that's how we just got to be good friends, because he's a Kentucky boy. I'm from Tennessee. And he said, you got to be my daughter. You know, we're having a girl, and you got to be her uh, godmother. And I said, well, I'd be honored. So actually, Molly and I took over from there. And we've just stayed very, very close through the years. You know, most people I know who have godchildren. By the way, your voices blend beautifully here. But... That's a note. That gives me the goosebumps. That song. She did it on the show live. I I, I, I think she's fantastic. Oh, you know, she's she, amazing. She did uh, uh, a she played with Metallica on my show, believe it or not. So oh, you know, really? yeah, yeah. She kind of picked that up from you. Like uh, there's no genre <laughs> that she won't touch. You know what I mean? No, when she's capable of any of it, she's got a fantastic voice. I just felt honored. I love that song and I love Molly. And when I started to choose all these people for my record. Or songs that I wanted to do, I thought I have to have Molly. Whose idea was it to break into "I Will Always Love You" at the? Well, that was uh, mine. That was yours. You said, "Let's yeah. do that at the end." Yeah. Wow. Well, it, we had we had done that Miami show, and we had sung "Wrecking Ball," and we had done "I Will Always Love You," but they were two complete songs. And then when I we got ready to do the song in the studio. I thought, well, I'm just going to just fly off and do some I Will Always Love You lines, and, uh, and it worked. 
Yeah. Sweet moment to be recording with her. Who the hell knew oh. when you agreed to be her godmother that she'd grow up to be that? I know, well, we're hoping that. someday that we might do an album together because her voices are so great. Do you feel at this point in your life you're running out of time? Like you have so much you still want to do and so much you want to enjoy. And maybe this is the best time of your life. I don't know. But do you feel like you're running out of time? Yeah, I wish that, um, you know, I think about my age and then you have a tendency once you get older to think things like, oh, my God, in 10 years, I'll be, you know, this old. And then you think, oh, my God, how many people I know that's that age. But I I try to make myself stop doing that because every year of my life, I've made something great out of it. So unless I got sick or unless my husband just needed me so much that I needed just to stay with him, and I would. Uh, but I would hope to just be being productive all the days of my life. I've often said I'd rather, you know, hope I fall dead right on stage in the middle of a song, hopefully when really? I'm written, you know. But, of course, that'd be the way to go. But, uh, yeah, I do. You think about, oh, man, I wish I was, I wish, you know, in my mind, I remember when I was 35 years old, I remember thinking, wow, this is the perfect time in my life. And I'm going to, in my mind, plant the fact that I'm going to always be 35 in my mind. And mm. so I kind of, kind of live like that and as the years go by though i work more like i'm 35 i work more like i'm you know that age and choices that i make and all but they say wisdom comes with age and uh, lord i'm old enough to be really smart by now <laughs> Yeah, but, but you want to know something? I'm looking at you i mean i'm not blowing smoke up your ass you look fucking fantastic well and, thank you and you know you've never made a secret about you know you'll do play you'll take a nip and a tuck here and there to keep your beauty so many people screw that up. You have not screwed that up. Like, I would, if I was going to do something to myself, I would go to your doctors. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> do people call you all the time and say, Dolly, how do you do it? Oh, yeah. And I always say, just find the best doctors. I even, some of my celebrity friends, I give them the names of my, of, of the doctors that I've, I've used. But you just got to be very careful not to overdo it because you never know anytime you go under the knife you could come out looking not good uh, oh, just like yeah. when, Ke when kenny had you know when kenny rogers especially harder for men because you can't wear the makeup and all the different eyelashes and stuff but i mean even and that was one of the best doctors you just never know how you're going to heal you never know what's going to go so you absolutely need to find the best doctors, the most talked about doctors are the ones highly recommended. If you're going to do anything to, about your face, you can cover up stuff if somebody screws up things on your body. But boy, if you live with your face out there, you got to be careful. But yeah, yeah you got to, you got to really think about that because you never even know, uh, you, you know, what's yeah, going to happen. So I try to do just little bits at a time. I, I don't do like, you know, really big stuff. And then I, I do a lot of, I do fillers, Botox and Juvederm or whatever, you know, just the fillers and just only when I have to, you yeah. know, do something a little more. And even then I try to be, be careful with it. I, I have, I've gone to several doctors. They tell me there's no fixing my face. They said it's a, it's hopeless. They, they can't do it. It's <laughs> well, just you're impossible. beautiful yeah. as you are. Nobody, <laughs> yeah. wants to, nobody wants to change you. <laughs> but you know what, Dolly? You're right about Kenny Rogers. There was a good-looking man, uh, Kenny Very. Rogers. He should have left it alone. 
He should have well, left it alone. Well, but you know what? We, you, you don't know. He probably just, you know, like how we all get that sagging, dragging, bagging thing. You know, like if you're under your eyes, you know, you think, well, i got to get these bags out. And somebody convinces you, I know the best eye doctor. But you right. don't know how you're going to heal. And that's what's so hard about it. It can... It changes your expressions. Even yes. if the surgery itself is good, it changes your personality. It can. Did so, you ever talk uh, to Kenny about it? Did you ever? Because you were close. Yeah, it, I was it, it, very it, close to Kenny, and I, you know, because I made him feel better about it. In fact, one of the last times we were together, I mean, we were like brother and sister. We just said whatever, and I told him, I said, Kenny, I'm glad I got I got to live long enough to see you grow into your facelift, you know. <laughs> so he thought that was the funniest thing, but he did. You know, as he got older, you know, his skin, you know, started to loosen, and and he yeah. looked more, you know, more natural. But oh no, he he hated it worse than anybody. But Kenny was so precious, and he was still beautiful. But it's like you just never know, especially with a man. Uh, you know, it's like I said, it's different because it's just so right there in the open. With women, you get a bad job. Sometimes you can you can learn how to do your makeup, your eyes a little better. But yeah. it's always a risk, and I'm always every time I go in for anything, I think, oh Lord, please, you know, let this all <laughs> it's work like out. It's like rolling fine. the dice. Yeah, it is but, uh, like rolling the dice. It is. That relationship with you and Kenny Rogers, I love when you got the Kennedy Center honor and uh, Kenny walks out to honor you, you know, and uh, I just I, I saw you light up. I think that's what, a great moment. I watched that. on. Oh, YouTube I love Kenny. I loved Kenny. We were very close. We had so much passion and so much love. We never had a relationship. Uh, you know, a lot of people when you have that, you feel that kind of love and passion. uh you just assume, but we, yes. you know, we didn't, but we kept that like that. We knew that worked for us because we loved each other like that. We when felt you do, that power, when you did the, you know. When you did the duet, um, uh, Islands in the Stream, right? And, uh, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I kind of assume, I, I got to let you go. They're telling, give me the high five, I mean, the, the high sign. But, but yeah, you know, to make a love song like that, you gotta, so, like an actor, you've gotta kind of fall in love. Yeah, you do. And that's when yeah. I did fall in love with Kenny. And I loved him, and I love him still. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I man. thought our voices, our voices were beautiful together. Yeah. Hey, so listen, they're telling me to let you go. I guess you got a lot to. Oh, you has it been 90 minutes? Oh, no, wow. longer. They let me keep you an extra 10. Um, Dolly's new album is called Rockstar. It comes out uh, this Friday. I will tell you that it is, I'm going to say there's 30 or 35 songs on the album, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot 30, going on. 30 songs on the album, yeah. Yeah, and uh, even a heavy metal song, Bygones, with uh, with with Rob Halford, Nikki Six, and this guy, John Five, who you got to play guitar on this track. This kid is fucking amazing. a few times on the phone he seems so sweet yeah he's so good sweet. yeah I, I i think he got some great musicians on this album i've only mentioned a handful of them there's also we are the champions we will rock you and uh dolly does some beautiful versions of these songs and with some amazing people so there you go uh the album is called rockstar also we should mention dolly rockstar radio premieres today on Sirius XM Channel 14, it features songs from Rockstar, her favorite collaborations and hits. 
So uh, I'm excited about that for all the uh, SiriusXM people. And there's one last thing I have to say to you. I want to thank you personally. What you did during the um, the um, pandemic, you donated a million dollars to the development of the COVID vaccine. And uh, I thought that was tremendous, magnanimous of you. Unlike some people in our country who think we don't need vaccines, that vaccines are out to get us. I appreciate science. That's why we're living longer. That's why we're healthy. And I thought that was fantastic that you did that. And I want to thank you Well, thank you. I thought we were going to go down with the Black Plague. And I thought, well, I got to do something if I can. And I'm happy that I did it. And thank you. And I love that. And next time I see you, you must answer the question. Will you sell your catalog? Not at the moment. I haven't considered that, although I do get offered a huge amount of money. Hundreds uh, of millions, am I correct? Yes, I, yes, but I have not considered it yet. So if I ever need to, I might, but I don't need to right now. You got Those enough cash. Those are my children. Those are my children. <laughs> I ran out never of time. Never say never. Right. Never say never, but, uh, you know, it's. I would only leave it to my family if I did anyhow, so. You want control over the, the music, right? You, in other words, you don't want it on a commercial that you don't uh, feel comfortable with or something well, like that. Well, hopefully I'll always be able to have some rules on that because I don't want to have I Will Always Love You on a vacuum cleaner commercial or well, something. Well, don't think I'm being uh, smart here, but I would love right now to offer you $500 for Jolene. Just that song. <laughs> I will own it. I will maintain well, it. Uh, what do you think? Any, uh, can I do we consider have a deal? it and get back to you? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. can I just say thank you for having me on today? And uh, what a you're treat. a star, and I'm glad to, that I had a chance to work with you again. Oh, I, I loved it. And uh, next time we talk, if there ever is a next time, too, I'm going to ask you about, this is another amazing thing. I ran out of time, damn it. I wanted to ask you about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when you got into television production with Sandy Gallen, who I knew Sandy. I knew him yeah, pretty well. Yeah, you did, yeah. I did. And uh, I want to hear about that whole aspect of your career, because that's another mind-blowing thing to me. But, you know, we've run out of time. You obviously oh, have, have a life. Well, we'll, yes. we'll talk again. Okay. All right, Dolly. Listen, so, good luck with Rockstar. I want to say one thing. You are an icon. You have been a role model for years and years and years. You speak women's language, and we love you. Oh, yes. thank you so much, sweetheart. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It was so right, much Dolly. fun to listen All to right. this today. It was wonderful. Oh, good. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, Dolly. Go have fun. And fun okay, she will have. Okay, thanks, Howie. All right. All right. Bye. Take care. That's Dolly Parton. What do you know? Everybody's She's so, amazing. She has so reinvented herself and reinvented yeah. herself. She's always on the the cutting edge of things. It's amazing. Yeah. I wanted to buy her catalog. I was going to probably offer her as much as $15,000 for one well, song, 500 for Jolene. And then, uh, I wanted to buy nine to five because I'm, I want to How put it in an, that? I was going to put that in an adult diaper commercial and make a fortune. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, she doesn't want to sell her catalog. I, I ran out of time. I was going to negotiate. You thought but, you could talk her into it. Yeah. I, I didn't get to this whole. Time. I didn't get into this whole production company she had, but she produced Father of the Bride, that that movie. Like, it's pretty with uh, Steve Martin. Yeah, Father of the Bride wow. with Frank, the party player. Oh planner. yes, yes, Mark yeah. Short in that was great. Yeah, but uh, that woman's career is so massive, and the success is so massive. 
again, it's just, the, I, they told me I had 90 minutes, hard out, as to use Gary's term, hard really? out. 90 I wonder minutes. where she had to go. And then about when I was up to nine, when I was almost at, uh, let's say, 89 minutes, I got a sign. She could stay for 10 more minutes. So I. Yeah, I was afraid. I mean, because it was great conversation and you were going along and I was like, wait a minute. We got to mention the album and boy, oh, he's yeah, still, no. <laughs> he's still, I mean, we didn't get very far in her career. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not 90 minutes for a woman like that. It's really impossible. You need you need a lot of time. You need a lot of time, but uh, you try to get as m- to as much as you can. All right. Anyway, Robin, yes. uh, l- let's face it. We've had a busy week, and nobody, nobody deserves to leave the radio right now more than you and me. We uh, <laughs> we <laughs> we've, we've done earned our, time. our keep, and it's time we, to go. Yeah, and again, I'll mention uh, Dolly Parton's new album, Rockstar, comes out Friday. Which is, what's today? Today's Wednesday. Okay, you got two days. Today's Wednesday. That's two days you have to wait. And check out Dolly's uh, Rockstar Radio on Sirius XM Channel 14, which I would have liked to have talked to her about, like, who she's going to put on there. Uh, and also, for music fans, Friday on Howard 101, again, I'll remind you, Stuart Copeland of The Police is hosting a new episode of Songs I Want to Hear. I'm really jacked about uh, this whole new series we're doing where people come on and play their favorite tunes. You know, he loves drumming so much. You know, you mentioned that he heard the drums on the uh, Jimi Hendrix song and wanted to find out who that guy was and how he was doing what he was doing. I actually uh, ran into him at a performance of Stomp, which was that Broadway show where they were drumming on anything and everything and he absolutely loved it he was amazed by it yeah yeah he's something else uh we learned a lot how about dolly writing that song on her nails isn't that crazy well i had heard that story before that it was that and then i loved how they put an actual typewriter in the song the guy I'm most jealous of, there's a guy, while I was, you'll see on the video when um, I'm interviewing Dolly, a guy comes over and adjusts her boobs. Yes, I was and shocked I, at that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, what's a cooler job? Snoop Dogg's yeah. joint roller or Dolly's boob wrangler? Like, uh, oh my goodness. I was like, hey, if I was yeah. in the studio sitting there with her, I would have, I would have helped her with that. You know, she maybe. was never exposed in any way because you know I saw no. that, that you no. know you I, and I couldn't really tell if that little mesh thing that was had the the studs on it and stuff was enough to cover her whole boobs. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I'm thinking, Robin? Just for that opening. You know, I'm thinking you need a boob wrangler. Like for your boobs, I, I'm, I'm going to see if I can't get you one. One, someone on the staff will volunteer. What do you oh, want, really? Gary? That guy's that guy was awesome, by the way. He's got a great gig. So we've been here since yesterday doing all the setup and everything like that. And he walks in like 20 minutes before. And he's like, "Move that, move that, move that." Like he's just move, just puts everything the way Dolly wants it. I got to tell you, Gary, she looks fantastic. Fantastic, yeah. yeah. Jesus, yeah. I mean, well, you know, that's why I brought up plastic surgery. I said, whoever's doing, like, I, whoever's doing you, but she brings up a good point. Kenny Rogers probably went to the same guy and got fucked. So who knows? Right, and you but never how, know yeah. how it's going to affect you. 
Her schedule right. today is, to, is like what they're doing today is just like it's just nonstop. And I'm talking about like stuff you never heard of. Like I think she's doing like Australian QVC. Like she just works, man. She works so hard. I'll tell hard. you the truth. I didn't want to let her go. I was way into uh, that was keeping fun, her here. wasn't it? Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah, Cliff. Great. Cliff from Maine yeah. is on the phone. Go ahead, Cliff. Uh, Howard, that, that interview made me cry, man. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah, what, what, part? what part made you cry? I'm a I'm a veteran with PTSD, oh. and um, and knowing that um, I'm still emotional now. I'm sorry, but uh, knowing that somebody that iconic can suffer with um, depression, depression, yeah. and, and and find a way out. And I mean, the last couple of years, I've contemplated suicide more than once, and. Um, no, I mean, and Howard, you just keep getting better. It, it, uh, I mean, my, it, it's crazy, man. Cliff, I'm sorry about your uh, PTSD and, and the suicide and stuff, but I got to tell you, that was inspirational when Dolly was talking about her low point and uh, the way she kind of picked herself up. And Hey, I hope the same for you, Cliff, okay? Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it very All much. All right, pal. You bet. All right. All right, Robin, we got to go. Thanks, Cliff. I hope everything's good. And uh, in the future, but uh, we got to yeah, get gotta, out of here. I got to hurry up because Jada Pinkett Smith, she might have taken a little break, but she's going to be on uh, the CBS Morning Show. Oh, no, so. not again. <laughs> yes, she's got, really? She must have more revelations. Uh, oh, she's going to be on with Gail uh, to talk about her book. Oh, Jesus. Poor Will Smith, man. He better brace himself for some more revelations. I know. Does he know what she's going to say next? I don't Jeez. know. Jeez. Good Lord. No kidding. What is that, like yeah. round five? All right. I think you, so. You know, then we better get out of here. I need to see that myself. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll see you later. Bye.